Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly filling in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning Plenty of things to get to throughout the course of the show tonight. Um, we will get to the national championship game later on. Uh, we have to do an Eagles update. I have my first mock draft, mock draft 1.0. Uh, I, I'm usually not a big mock guy. Um, I think this is the first time I've ever done a mock draft. And I only did through pick 12 because, I mean, let's face it, that's all we really care about. Um, we, we really only care about what the Eagles uh, do uh, in the first round. So we have through pick 12. Um, I have a trade involved in the first round. Uh, a trade was made in the NFL on Monday involving a quarterback. So we'll get to that and how that could affect the Eagles moving forward. Uh, a ton of other topics is what we got to get to this, um, Paul Pierce controversy later in the show, which I mean, Mike and I had talked about, you know, discussing this, Last night, we never got the chance to to get to it, and the story evolved in just a, I feel, an absolutely ridiculous way on Tuesday, or or on Monday, rather. So we'll get to that later in the show, um, but uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll get to it later. I want to ask you about it now, Mike, but we can't really lead with Paul Pierce tonight. I just don't get it. Yeah, I guess that's, I'll just tease by saying I don't get how yeah. it's not that bad. No, we'll we'll get to it later on, but... Paul Pierce is out at ESPN now, and it is, it, it's absurd. Like, it, it is ridiculous. I don't even know what Paul Pierce did wrong. I mean, um, we'll explain it when we discuss the story in further detail, but uh, a ridiculous decision made by ESPN, so we will get to that. Plenty of things to discuss throughout the course of the show tonight, but we will start with what happened down at Citizens Bank Park, a really entertaining ball game down at the bank on Monday night, Philly's now 4-0 after a thrilling win over the Mets in the opener of their three-game set. A game in which the Phils look lifeless most of the night. I mean, down 2-0 after seven innings, 
they can't touch Jacob DeGrom, which that's not unique. I mean, not many teams can hit Jacob DeGrom. He's the best starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. Probably has been for three, four years now. And he was absolutely rolling. Mets have a 2-0 lead. Matt Moore uh, comes out early after, you know, some bad defense behind. I don't know what the hell Hazley was doing on that fly ball to center field. Just a horrendous break. Um, Moore himself uh, unable to field a grounder up the middle. Um, and the Mets get a 2-0 lead, but the bullpen comes in, does a great job. Uh, Kinsler, Coonrod, um, Brogdon, who, who looks like a legit piece. Um, they keep the game where it is. And DeGrom, for some reason, lifted after seven innings. We'll get to that decision later on. What was he at? Like 77 pitches? Unbelievable that DeGrom lifted after seven innings in that spot. In the eighth, the Phils rally. Get some really big at-bats. One out, Bamboo Brad a single to get things started. Then Andrew McCutcheon, a really good at-bat, works a walk. Reese Hoskins, who I was initially upset because they're talking on the broadcast, is, is you know, um, Dustin May the reliever, or is it Trevor, Trevor May, I believe, is the reliever. I get my Mays mixed up. Um, Dustin May's the guy on the, the Dodgers. Okay. So Trevor May walks McCutcheon. They're talking about on the broadcast, well, Reese has got to be ready to hit a fastball here. Uh, the pitcher's going to try to get ahead. First pitch fastball, Reese takes it. Uh, middle way, and I was frustrated at that point because I'm thinking that's your best chance to get a pitch to hit. Take it the other way, hit, drive it to the gap in right center. Uh, doesn't, takes the strike, but Reese Hoskins battles through the at-bat, is able with two strikes to serve a base hit into right field to load the bases. Then here comes our old buddy, the looper, Aaron Loop. He hits Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, a single to left. That ties the ball game. And then um, Alec Bohm on a ball that looked like could have been a double play ball, clangs off the catcher's glove. Phils end up scoring three in total in the inning and go up uh, five to two. And then Jose Alvarado comes in the ninth, gives up a few hits, um, but no walks. I thought Alvarado was fine. I mean, had really good stuff in that ninth inning. Uh, he is just so nasty. Pounding 100 with cut. Uh, the slider in. Uh, that cutter is just such a nasty pitch. And as I said, the Mets, give them credit. They had some good at-bats in that inning uh, to get some base hits. Um, then the polar bear comes up with two on. Serves one to right. Scares you for a second. But on the warning track, Bryce Harper able to make the catch. And the Phils end up beating the Mets 5-3 to three in the opener of this three-game series. And uh, the Phillies get the win. Now, not the cleanest game you'll see, as I mentioned. Defense not as good. Phil's made some mistakes in the field in this game. But in the end, they get another one of those grinded-out, tough victories that we talked about so much on the show yesterday. And we a lot of the theme last night was whether this team is different. And basically comparing the three-game sweep the Phils had this year to the three-game sweep that they had against the Atlanta Braves two years ago and why I felt that it was different. That a couple years ago, it was just Phil slugging all over the place. Bunch of home runs, offense uh, carrying the team, and that's the way it's been the last couple years. 
Well, this year, it was on the backs of their pitching, the starting rotation, the bullpen, kind of keeping the fills in it and the offense doing just enough to get them enough runs to win those games. And I felt like it was more impressive what they did this year. And we talked about whether this is a different team than it's been the last two years. The fact that they are winning these games this way as opposed to just outscoring teams as they have been in the past. And it appears they might be different, certainly. But it is too early to tell definitively. You know, you we can say they look different, we can say we think this team's different, but three, four games is clearly not enough to make that determination and say that with any kind of definitive confidence. But what is for sure, and what we can conclude, is that roster-wise... Talent-wise, this team is much, much better than they have been the past two years. Just the way this roster has been filled out, the glaring holes that they had last year in the bullpen have been resolved. The bench, which was kind of a weak spot last year, you feel more confident when you have a guy like Brad Miller who you can bring up a good pinch hitter who can come through for you. Brad Miller kind of reminds me a little bit of of Greg Dobbs uh, back in the day. A guy who just, you can have confidence, can come up to the plate and get you a big hit when it matters. That we can tell through only four games that roster-wise, this team is just much better assembled and much better put together. Talent-wise, they are significantly improved. And the question after last season was, would John Middleton do what was necessary to improve this team? I mean, we asked that question for months, and rightfully so. Those questions were asked for good reason. Because the things that we had heard following 2020 were in no way Encouraging. I mean, when you heard some of the things that John Middleton said at that press conference following last season, Phillies fans should have been concerned. Phillies fans should have been worried about whether this owner would hold to his word. John Middleton, who said so many years ago, I will do anything to get my damn trophy back, or get my bleeping trophy back, whatever he said on with Angelo in the morning show that day. And we had reason to believe that John Middleton was not going to hold up his end of the bargain. And we'll just take you back to early October and some of the things that John Middleton said at that press conference uh, in regards to the Phillies and here, first of all, um, what he thought of the front office's job last year. This is a systemic problem. And frankly, it's not Matt's, a problem of Matt's making. It's been a problem for forever. I mean, it, with the Phillies. I mean, you can, you know, you take away those two windows that I talked about and it's, it's been throwing darts. So no, I don't, I don't hold Matt responsible for the creation of the problem. And in fact, I think we're better than we are, than we have been. And, and historically, we just didn't get there fast enough, in my opinion. 
Now, you hear something like that, and, I mean, I, at the time, didn't hear an owner that was in touch with reality. And an owner that understood that massive changes needed to be made. That, yeah, the front office structure, Matt Klintak, Andy McPhail, they were a big part of the problem. They were not doing a good enough job. That sounded to me like a guy was ready to accept mediocrity. Here's more John Middleton, kind of more excuse-making when asked about what the timetable was to hire a new general manager. We don't really have a firm timetable. I think one of the things that's really going to potentially play havoc with with this offseason is COVID. Um, And not knowing, I mean, right now you can't even, our offices aren't even open. So if you had somebody new today, they can't really, they can't go into the office to work. They can't meet people. They can't work with people. They can't, it's hard, you know, and, and holding Zoom meetings only goes so far, particularly when you're talking about establishing relationships. It's, I think we have to be flexible and we have to be nimble. I mean, so we'll go out and see. And, and who knows how COVID is going to play in potential candidates' minds, whether, whether they're going to be come conservative and say, I want to stay where I am because I know where I am and I feel safe here, or whether they're going to say, I, I want to take, take a chance and move out into a new job in a new organization. You know, we mock those John Middleton comments quite a bit. I mean, and Andy McPhail, who you better damn well give him credit for, for 91. Um, Andy McPhail had echoed those sentiments. Like, who is going to uproot in the middle of a pandemic? There you go, Mike. That didn't, I, I, I'm sorry. I should have uh, given you more room uh, to breathe there. But we had mocked John Middleton for these comments at length. And every Phillies fan had a reason to believe that this guy wasn't going to do what was necessary. And this one especially. Because what, heading into this offseason, more than fixing the bullpen, more than rounding out the starting rotation, the big question was, on the roster, what were you going to do about JT Realmuto? The guy that we knew the Phillies needed to be bring back. And remember what John Middleton said back in early October. We kind of figured he's going to be heading to free agency. We figured that a long time ago, and that's I see no change in that, Jim. I, you know. Think it'll be the clip filing for free agency. Can you tell me what 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 the governor and the mayor of Philadelphia are going to allow us to have next year in the way of fans? Because if you do, if you do, you know something that I don't. So I have no idea what we're going to be allowed. And obviously, that's going to determine revenues, and revenues determines what what you can do and what you can't do. So, but yeah, is it a priority? Of course, absolutely. Now, that didn't sound like a guy to me who was committed to winning, and an owner that was committed to improving this ball club. And based on those comments, every Phillies fan, everybody who gives a damn about this team was right to be worried about the direction. And whether John Middleton was truly ready to make this team a contender. Because let's face it, we all know, and John Middleton talked about it with the farm system and the issues the Phillies have in the farm system. The only way that this team was going to get out of the hole they were in was to commit financially and was to spend and to go all in. And he, at that time, did not sound like an owner who was truly committed. 
He did not sound like a guy who was committed to winning, did not sound like a person who was ready to make that financial commitment that this team needed to make. And this offseason for the Philadelphia Phillies was a critical moment. I mean, we all know it. Anybody who covers this team, anybody who pays attention to this team knew that this offseason, they were going to go one of two ways. They were either going to commit and spend and hopefully become a contender, or they they would have faded back into the mediocrity that they have toiled in for much of the last decade. Here's what I'm not going to do. And this is where I will admit that I was wrong. And while I don't think I was wrong to have my fears at the time, I was wrong about John Middleton and his commitment. Because in this critical offseason, where the Phillies and John Middleton could have gone one one of two ways, and John Middleton, in many ways, his legacy as an owner, I feel will be tied to this offseason. He got the job done. He stepped up to the plate. And it all started with hiring Dave Dombrowski. Hiring Dave Dombrowski changed kind of the attitude of this franchise. It changed the direction of this franchise, the way they were run, the way they had thought about being conservative and being hesitant to make moves and not going all into contempt. But John Middleton stepped to the plate when he needed to this offseason. He hired Dave Dombrowski. He spent to fix the bullpen. When you go out and you get Archie Bradley, you get Jose Alvarado, you bring in kind of under-the-radar guys like Coonrod and Kinsler, who will solidify the bullpen, and you saw the impact that they had on Monday night, keeping the Phillies in that game, keeping their heads above water so they did have that chance to come back in the eighth inning. To re-sign JT Real Muto, despite it being a large financial commitment over five years. To re-sign D.D. Gregorius and fill out that lineup. It gave this team a legitimate chance. And based on that alone, are the Phillies a playoff team? No, of course not. We won't know that for a long period of time. But what we do know is that they can legitimately contend now. And they have a legitimate chance that they didn't have the last couple years. That they were trying to kind of play both sides. Where we'll make these big splashy moves one offseason, but we will leave these glaring holes on the roster. And John Middleton had a decision to make this past offseason where he could have gone one of two ways. He could have accepted mediocrity not spent big, let JT walk, made minor moves, and tried to contend without going all in, or he could make that financial commitment to the team, make that financial commitment to the fans, make that financial commitment to the city, and go all in to be a contender. And to John Middleton's credit, he lived up to his word. When he said he wants to win, when he said he wants that bleeping trophy back, there was reason to doubt him based on his actions over the last couple years. But John Middleton 
made the moves necessary this past offseason with hiring the general manager, re-signing the guys that the Phillies need to bring back, and fixing their biggest weakness, which was their bullpen. And they did it all with money because that's the only way they could do it. And that's solely on the owner. And John Middleton deserves credit. And I'm somebody who, if you've listened to me, I have been highly critical of John Middleton. But I will keep it real. I mean, that's what we do on this show. And when he deserves credit, when people I don't like deserve credit, or I have criticized deserve credit, I will give them credit. If Carson Wentz comes out next year and he lights the world on fire in the first two games of the year, I'll give Carson Wentz credit too. I doubt that's going to happen. But if he does, I'll give him credit. And John Middleton deserves that benefit of the doubt right now. Is this sustainable? I don't know. But I was wrong about Middleton and his commitment. He showed that he cares. He showed that he's willing to invest. He showed that he is, his sole goal, his main goal is to win. And for this team to be a contender. And just like he deserved the blame last year, he deserves credit right now. And that's where I want to start tonight. Your thoughts on John Middleton as an owner. And have they changed in the last couple months, in the last week or so? I mean, it's early in the season, but this team has fixed a lot of their issues. And they are dramatically better on paper, and they are legitimate contenders, and they've done it based on the owner being willing to spend and being willing to make this team a true competitor, and he deserves um, all the credit for that right now. 215-592-9494, if you want to get in. Your thoughts on John Middleton and the job that he has done. Dave Dombrowski, sure, he's the GM, and he's the one making the, uh, the moves with personnel and the roster and the signings. But John Middleton's the guy who enables all that to happen. And it's why I blamed him a lot the last couple of years. While many people would point at Matt Klintak, I think Matt Klintak, in a lot of ways, Matt Klintak certainly wasn't the best GM and certainly wasn't the best player evaluator. But I also thought he was working under financial restrictions, put in part by the owner. John Middleton is allowing Dave Dombrowski to spend the money the way he needs to. And for that, he deserves um, a lot of the credit for where this team is, how they look, and how they project moving forward. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in. When we get back, um, you know, as I am giving John Middleton credit here, and I think he deserves uh, some adulation after getting criticized mightily over uh, the last couple months, and especially for his comments following last season. I want to unveil my new owner rankings in Philadelphia. And John Middleton is climbing the list while a a, uh, former popular owner in this city has fallen dramatically. So we'll talk about that a little bit when we return uh, and how these um, different owners in this city stack up at this point. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, just talk about the win and your thoughts on the Phillies right now. Um, Because... This bullpen is incredibly impressive. And what they are doing to keep this team in games, giving them an opportunity, is very exciting to see. 
Even when the offense struggles, not scoring runs, the bullpen able to keep the Phillies afloat. Uh, we saw uh, pretty much everybody in this game with Kinsler and Coonrod and, and Brogdon. Those guys coming in, picking up for Matt Moore, keeping the Phillies in this game, giving them an opportunity. Another game the Phillies would have lost last year. I mean, you look at these three, these four games this season. Phillies are playing with last year's roster. I think they're one and three right now. Um, so, uh, pretty exciting stuff. You want to get in on that? You're welcome to to start the show. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Open lines. We'll get you in. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. Uh, starting the show talking about the Phillies, their big win over the Mets, 4-0, and and whether we were unfair to John Middleton because he was criticized a lot. Now, I don't think we were unfair to him. I think at the time he was being criticized and deservedly so. I mean, the things he was saying did not sound like an owner that was truly committed to winning. You know, he didn't sound like a guy at the end of last season that was going to do the things necessary to commit and win for the Philadelphia Phillies. And we knew the only way the Phillies were going to get out of this was to spend money. They didn't have the guys in their farm system. They didn't have uh, the prospects to develop. The only way that they were going to be able to truly contend was to spend. And a lot of people deserve credit for the way this team has started the season. Certainly the players themselves, starting rotation, they have been lights out, especially those first three guys. Uh, The bullpen, those players in the bullpen have been tremendous, those pitchers coming out and and shutting the door. Phil still didn't allow a bullpen run until Alvarado in the ninth inning uh, of Monday night's game. Lineup certainly, getting timely hits. Dombrowski making the moves, but John Middleton deserves more credit than anybody. He's the guy who has allowed all this to happen. And just like he deserved a lot of the blame the last couple years for keeping Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail in place, not being aggressive enough in going and getting a legit front office person to run the show, he deserves credit now to hire Dombrowski and allow Dave Dombrowski to do what he needs to do and give him the resources, and by resources, the dollars to do it. That is John Middleton, and he deserves a lot of credit for where this team is right now and how they project forward. Will they make the playoffs? I mean, we don't know. It's going to be um, it's going to be a long time before we we know just how serious of a contender this team is. But if they're not, you can't blame the owner. The owner has done everything on his end to make this team a contender. Now it becomes incumbent on the players and the superstar manager. To get the job done. 215-592-9494. Let's get it started on the phones with Shane in Allentown. What's up, Shane? Hey, how you doing, Tom? How you doing, man? So, I'm going to start off with John Middleton. I'm a person to where I can say that he is happily making me eat crow right now. Um, The past couple years, especially after last year with the bullpen, uh, I was very hesitant about him, but the way the moves that he's made this offseason and the way this team has started, I'm eating crow and I'm pretty happy about it. 
Yeah, I'm with I'm I'm exactly in your camp, Shane. I mean, I've been really critical of Middleton. I thought um certainly him leaving Clentac and McPhail and kind of this passive approach the last couple of years was the wrong one. Um and you know, coming out of last season, it didn't sound like like he knew what he needed to do, but uh, somewhere along the line, he figured it out, and the moves he made this past offseason with Dombrowski and and spending the money on JT and Gregorius in the bullpen deserves a lot of credit right now. Especially on the bullpen, because um, I was very... I love Archie Bradley coming in, Alvarado, all those guys. But um, to kind of shift over to where with the Phillies offense, um, I'm a little curious to see, like, it's definitely way too early to judge. I know that... um, the hitters and the pitchers, their timing is definitely a little bit off. It's the start of the season. But teams like the Braves and the Mets, who they have beaten so far, they're going to get on a roll eventually as the season goes on. So I'm going to be interested to see how this offense plays out, especially with Alec Bohm and all those other young guys still trying to come in and find figure themselves out a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely been encouraging, Shane. I mean, if you had told us that the Phillies would – uh, before no, and the offense would look the way it has. I mean, that's a uh, that's a great sign, and that shows you how um, improved the pitching rotation is, and certainly the bullpen. I mean, the bullpen won you this game on Monday night to just kind of keep you in it until the offense could manufacture some runs. Uh, and to the offense's credit, you know they could have kind of gotten discouraged and shut it down. But in the eighth inning, they strung some really good at-bats together, got hits when they needed them. And I thought Monday night was a, a, just a really solid win for this team. Oh, I agree. Um, the Phillies, they played well. They played solid. Um, the bullpen especially. like The bullpen has probably been the biggest highlight of these four games because even the games of the Braves, they've been close. And the whole time the bullpen has been keeping them in. And, heck, for the whole Braves series – bullpen didn't give up any runs and that was the probably the biggest turning factor in those three games without a doubt Shane I mean they've been great and I appreciate it man uh thanks for the call uh the the bullpen's been tremendous I mean whether it's Bradley who has been on did Bradley pitch in all three games so far um pitched he did pitch in all three or no he didn't pitch Sunday I don't believe okay uh so Bradley pitched in the first two games uh, did not pitch Sunday, but he's been tremendous. Uh, Alvarado, uh, Alvarado, you know, it's a bit of an adventure, but like Thursday, I thought Alvarado struggled a little bit, walked some guys. I thought Alvarado was really good in the ninth inning of this game. He didn't walk anybody. I mean, there were a couple just good at bats by Mets hitters poking the ball the other way. Not anything really even hit hard. Just a couple, you know, weakly hit balls that fell in there. Um, maybe we're having a different conversation if uh if Pete Alonso's final fly ball to right field goes a few feet further. Um, but it comes up short, and I I really enjoy watching him, and and you know it'll get kind of overlooked in this game. But you brought it up to me earlier, Mike, how big a fan you are of these guys. But those middle innings, like after Moore has to come out, mm-hmm. just like the the idea of guys like Kinsler and Coonrod and Brogdon in the middle innings just to keep that game where it was at two runs, it, it keeps you in the game. And with this offense, if you're within two runs, you're always going to have a shot late. That's true. Yeah. No, I, I like Kinsler a lot. He's he knows he's a guy who knows how it gets out. Get outs. So hard to say for me. 
And then uh, Coonrod, you know, coming and throwing heat. Um, did you see the DD the DD tweet? I did not see Didi's Didi tweet tonight. Uh, identified Coonrod as like a bodybuilder. Yeah. Okay, so we yeah we got to see what Didi's um, newest emojis are going to be for some of the new players. Connor like Brogdon apparently is a scientist. Yeah, I, I like I like Reese Hoskins is just like the generic white guy emoji. That's what Reese Hoskins is. Okay, I didn't pick up. Well, I'm that. just I'm just saying I'm just yeah, you know no, observing. Yeah, I, got, I got you. I, I guess you kind of need you know. Uh, an emoji for everybody. What's, I don't know if it's a businessman or what it is. What's Bryce? I don't know what Bryce is. Hmm. Um, what the, I don't know what JT is either. JT what? is the knee or like the leg. Oh, because he's the catcher. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A wheeler is like the spaceship. Uh, I, I don't know what. Why isn't he just a wheel? I don't know. Maybe it is a wheel. I'm not sure. Um, well, but it, well, is it a spaceship or is it a wheel? I don't know. I, it looks like a spaceship to me. It looks like a saucer, but uh. uh who knows? But um, maybe it, Wheeler's a UFO uh, believer. Maybe. Uh, but it was nice just to see that bullpen come in and keep that game at two runs. Like to be able to keep that game close because that the Phillies lost a lot of games last year because you know when you have to pull the starter early, they just couldn't keep the game within striking distance. You know, it would be a two-run game, and then at some point. You know, when Adam Morgan or uh, one of these guys would just give up a couple runs, and then it would be deflating, and the Phils would end up making a rally, but um, it wouldn't be enough because you dig yourself too big a hole. But having that ability uh, to keep a game close, keep it within striking distance, is really encouraging. And uh, you got to give Middleton a lot of credit, I'll say it again, for going out and making that commitment. And I doubted him. I really did. And... Based off of how he spoke at the end of the season, I think we were right to have our doubts about him. But John Middleton decided, at a, and this was a pivotal point for this organization, they needed to, to fix these issues now. They couldn't afford to waste another year. You know, when you have a, a general manager like Dave Dombrowski, you have a manager like Joe Girardi, yeah, you're paying Bryce Harper all this money. You are in the position where you need to win now. And Middleton going out and bringing back JT Romuto, bringing back D.D. Gregorius, and fixing the bullpen, allowing Dabrowski to go get the guys necessary to fix the bullpen, um, he deserves a lot of credit right now. And it's crazy because I'm just thinking about this as, you know, I'm, I'm building the show out and I'm thinking, you know, Middleton deserves some props tonight. I'm thinking about how we view the owners in this city. And it's crazy to think how different it is now to the way it would have been six, seven months ago. Like, you think about it back in early September. There's no doubt about it. Early September, well, early October is probably the better uh, comparison, considering that was when the Philly season had just ended, and they're going through this horrible disappointment of not making the playoffs. Would it have been, you know, Anybody's opinion that Jeffrey Lurie is not the best owner in Philadelphia? A guy with all this track record of success. At that point, the Eagles had had a slow start to the season, but still, you're assuming they're going to get it together. Uh, what is viewed largely as a stable organization. And you compare that to where the Phillies were, just missing the playoffs. You compare that to where uh, the Sixers were at that point. They're 
disappointment of last season, their embarrassment in the bubble, looking for a coach, having uncertainty in the front office, and how much different things look now where John Middleton has gone out, gotten Dave Dombrowski. The Phillies have seemingly fixed the holes on their roster that plagued them last season. The Sixers have gone out, hired a legitimate GM in Daryl Morey, hired a Hall of Fame coach in Doc Rivers, fixed a lot of the issues on their roster, and they're the top team in the Eastern Conference right now, or now, I guess, a half game behind Brooklyn. But how much different things look now? And when you look at how the owners would have been ranked then, it would have been Jeffrey Lurie number one, Whoever the hell the Flyers have, I don't even count the Flyers in because I feel like they don't even really have an owner right now. But, you know, the precipitous drop from Lurie to either Josh Harris or John Middleton would have been substantial. And, and between Middleton and Harris, it was basically which one is worse rather than which one is better. Neither of them were viewed favorably six months ago. And I look at it now. I would put both Josh Harris and John Middleton above Jeffrey Lurie. I would put Josh Harris first, John Middleton second, and Jeffrey Lurie third. And it's amazing how much things have changed in this city over the last six months. And I think in some ways it really shows that you can learn lessons by failure. And you can learn lessons by losing, and it can motivate to, to to make the necessary changes. Because you look at the issues the Eagles have had over the last couple of years, you can argue a lot of those have been born out of arrogance. And that arrogance coming from the overconfidence from the success that they had in 2017. While the Phillies and Sixers were motivated by their failures. And it motivated Josh Harris to go get a legitimate GM. It motivated John Middleton to go get a legitimate GM. And it shows you how important that is. Now, I still have confidence in Howie Roseman. I still think Howie Roseman is a legitimate GM who can turn the Eagles around. But it absolutely shows the importance of the people in your front office. Because Dave Dombrowski... Daryl Morey, they have changed the entire outlook for both the Phillies and the Sixers. And while the owners deserve credit for going and get those guys, um, you need to identify the right person to run your front office. And it's just a different kind of feel for both those organizations now, having proven executives to run the show. Whether it's Morey with the Sixers, whether it's Dombrowski with the Phillies, and they've done a hell of a job. And um, both Josh Harris and John Middleton deserve a lot of credit for that. And Jeffrey Lurie, uh, on the other hand, has a lot of, of ground to make up and has a long way to go uh, to, to win back this city and the way he's viewed. Because uh, I, would, I don't think it's, it's um, controversial to say it all right now. He is not viewed anywhere near as favorably as Josh Harris and John Middleton are. And if you had told me that would be the case six months from now, six months ago, I would have told you you're crazy. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 
9494 if you would like to join the show. Um, when we get back, I'll give you my social media gripe of the day. And I also want to talk just about what made me happy on Monday night. Because Monday night, in many ways, made me feel like like we've had sports back for a long time. For what, about eight months now? But Monday night made me feel uh, like sports were really back in a way that they haven't been for a long, long time. And I'll explain what I'm talking about when we return. I want to know if anybody else had this same reaction. Uh, But we'll get to that when we get back. But if you want to get in, open lines right now, 215-592-9494. Talking about the Phillies, talking about John Middleton, who deserves credit, a lot of credit, uh, for what this team has done and him going out, making the commitment uh, to fixing the Phillies. So if you want to get back, get in, you're welcome to. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. If you want to get in, we got some open lines right now, 215 592 Nine four nine four. Talking a lot of Phillies so far, uh, considering their big victory over the Mets. Now four and zero, oh. and we'll talk a little more uh, about uh, that in a minute. Because there was one thing Monday night that it made me feel like sports was back in a way that I hadn't felt since we went into this pandemic. And we'll get to that in a second here. Uh, but it is time for our social media. Gripe of the day. Also, um, I got to revisit a, a social media gripe of the day from yesterday. As And he almost spoke too soon. But Philly's up 5-2 going into the uh, top of the ninth inning. And I receive a text from our pal, Glenn Macnow. It says 162-0. Actually, it said, <laughs> this was great. This is, uh, this is classic Glenn. He texted me and it said, um... 161 and 0, and then with a you know asterisk 162. He had typed the wrong thing initially. What but I, I, like Glenn's known for spelling things wrong. Like, what do you mean? Well, no, I don't know. Uh, you know, and, uh, I don't know why that's classic Glenn. It just is. Okay. But I sent him back a couple fry, crying uh, face face emojis, and you know, it was it, you know that's pretty funny. Played along. Yeah. I said 158 to go. I mean, we'll see if 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 Glenn and James Seltzer and all these other guys who tweeted 162 and 0. If they end up being right, then I'll apologize to them. I just don't – I don't think that's uh, going to be the case. James Seltzer and that other guy he does the podcast with. Yeah, by the way, hey, I mean, uh, yeah. speaking of giving credit to people who we rip a lot, um, and in no way do I look at this as Jack being vindicated. I mean, we're a long way from that. But uh, I was. I told you last night that I would be keeping tabs on the uh, on the Red Sox game. Um, as they were uh, taking on the Rays on ESPN. And uh, Nick Pavetta got to start. Nick Pavetta went five innings, scoreless ball, um, gave up two hits. I'll, I'll say this, it's smart of Alex Cora to get him out of there after five innings because you know the implosion is coming sooner Just or later. give him credit. He had a good game. Yeah, no, I'm giving, I'm giving him credit. What All do you right. think I'm doing? I mean, uh, but five innings, you know, uh, it's it's early. Uh, would you have trusted Pavetta to stay in much longer? 
I didn't say a second in that game, but probably not. Given his history? I probably mean, not. Yeah, of course not. Um, but I'll give him credit. Uh, so congratulations to Nick Pavetta, and, and congratulations, uh, I guess, to uh, to Jack Fritz. So To his uh, credit. Yeah, so um, Nick Pavetta had a, had a good start, and uh, we'll see if he, can, uh, if he can carry it over moving forward here. Um, but my social media gripe of the day today um, is – and this is a new thing that I have seen um, when people will, will tweet something out. And it's usually related to a video. It's usually um, a comment on a video. And it'll be like, it's blank for me. Like what makes them feel good about the video? Like if it's a bunch of players celebrating or something like that, it'll be like, it's the it's the team friendship for me. If, as far as what makes them happy, uh, is huh. the way I take it. That's a. It, it, it's been a. It's been a gripe. If you, I don't know how you search that one out. That would be tough for you to maybe find. But I've seen it quite a bit. So like, if someone tweeted highlights of Zach Wheeler's day Saturday on the mound and at the plate, what would you like? You could say, it's the, it's it's Wheeler's fastball that does it for me. No, it's like no, it's like um, huh. It, yeah, I guess you could say something like that. Like it's the, uh, it. it I, I don't even know how to how to describe it. Okay. Um, but it's like it's the it's the ace attitude for me or something like that <laughs> that 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 excites them. Uh, so that's my social media gripe of the day today. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, it's better to uh, it's probably easier to understand. Uh, it's very tough to explain. I'll do some searching. Some of these are ex- t- are difficult to explain on the radio if you haven't seen them. Um, but that's the one that that I have today. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, and um, you know, Monday night was really a night that you're thankful sports are back, and it's crazy because you think back to a year ago at this time, we had nothing like this was. What about two, three weeks into the pandemic at this point, where we have had nothing for a couple weeks? We were still a long, long ways off, and at that point, we didn't even know how far off we were. Like, if you told me in early April, yeah, you're not going to have anything until what was it, July 23rd, when baseball started up? Um, I I would have told you I'm not going to make it. Like, I'll probably just die. I'll probably just die over the next three and a half months. I'm not going to make it three and a half months without sports. That's where we were a year ago at this time. And you think about how far it's come to Monday night where you have the national title game on uh, Monday night with Baylor and Gonzaga. You have Phillies Mets. You have Flyers, Flyers Bruins. And it just felt normal. It felt normal in a way it hasn't felt normal for a, a long time. And I, I want to know if anybody felt the way I did about this specific aspect of Monday night as well. Because especially watching the Phillies-Mets game and having both teams' fans there, like, it just felt normal in a way that it hasn't in a long time where, you know, it's annoying when you're there. And it's annoying when you're watching and you hear those Mets fans chanting, let's go Mets and all this stuff. And, and but, but I actually came to appreciate it 
on Monday night. Like, it felt normal in a way that it hadn't felt in a long time. Having fans back at that game, having, like, the rival chants back and forth. And Joe Girardi talked about it after the game. Here's Joe Girardi uh, talking about that kind of back and forth between the Mets fans and Phillies fans. Oh, it's crazy. And and I think it's even different because the fans are here too, you know, and, and they're going back and forth all night. So um, guys got excited. I mean, this was an exciting ball game. And it was, and it was cool having that kind of dynamic. Here's Reese Hoskins talking about the impact of the crowd. You know, we've been saying all weekend really that it feels like way more, man. And shoot, we're having so much fun. You could tell everyone here is having a lot of fun. And I'm just excited for, for more people to be here. And it does. Like, if you watched that game on Monday night, like, that felt like a near full stadium to me. Like, it didn't sound like 11,000 people. When you had the Mets fans chanting when the Mets would do something, and the Phillies fans chanting back in response, it felt different than any sporting event that we've watched or that I've watched since the pandemic began. And I'm somebody who I've said over the last few months that I haven't really missed the crowds all that much. I haven't missed the crowds as much as I thought I would. Is that, you know, having the sports back, in a lot of ways, that's been enough for me. And I haven't be. I didn't think at least that I was incredibly affected by the lack of fans and the lack of that environment. But it was the first time that I really realized how much I did miss the fans, how much I did miss that kind of element. You know, and looking back and thinking back to Phillies games last year when we're watching games with cardboard cutouts in the crowd, and it became like like normal, but Monday night was, was different. And I want to know if anybody else experienced it the same way I did. Like, I thought it was, it, it was just a different feel. It felt like, uh, like sports were back again, like legitimately back. We've had this kind of mutated form of things over the course of the last seven, eight months where these leagues have been playing in bubbles and playing in empty stadiums and playing with the cardboard cutouts. And while stadiums, most stadiums aren't full yet, it's cool having fans back in. And I really didn't realize I, how much I missed it until you got that kind of element on Monday night where you had the Phillies fans on one side and the Mets fans on another side, and you can tell they're chanting back and forth. Uh, it made me realize how much I've missed the fans and how much I've missed the crowds. And, um, you know, I'm exciting. I'm excited for as we move forward here for more fans to, uh, to get back in, uh, obviously when it's safer to do so, and um, get that element back because I really didn't realize how much I missed it uh, until I watched that game on Monday night and uh, we had that element back especially of the two rival fan groups uh, going back and forth. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Open lines if you want to talk about Phillies, talk about John Middleton. Um, discussing that to start the show. When we get back, I did want to play some sound. Um, as uh, a, an athlete hosted a game show 
on Monday night, starting a two-week run. Uh, and there's a pretty funny joke made by one of the contestants. We'll get to that when we get back to a side topic off that. And I got to address this Paul Pierce story as well. Um, because Paul Pierce was fired by ESPN. And I don't know what he did wrong. So we'll get to that uh, when we get back. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning. Is this DMX? This is DMX, I believe, right, Mike? DMX, sad news uh, that he's in the hospital after a heart attack. Hopefully he gets better. DMX was like a, a, a big rapper in my childhood. Um, that might have been before your time, Mike. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, so hopefully uh, he, he recovers um, after uh, health issues. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Talking a lot of Phillies in the first hour of the show. And they're 4-0 start here, which has been very impressive. The bullpen has been lights out. Um, the starting rotation has been very good. Matt Moore, not as impressive on um, Monday night, but the bullpen coming in, able to keep, keep that game within striking distance. And ultimately, uh, the Phillies offense able to come through in the end, get some big hits in the eighth. I mean, some really just... Good at bats, uh, whether it was uh, Miller getting the pinch hit base hit to kind of get things started, um, Andrew McCutcheon working the walk, Reese Hoskins, a, a really good at bat, really good two-strike hitting, going the other way, uh, and uh, kind of keeping the line moving. And the Phils uh, able to keep it going. Um, in the eighth, in the end, uh, the Mets kind of implode, which we'll get to that later on, which that that's just, I love seeing the Mets implode. Um, but... Uh, the Phils end up getting the win, and you got to give a lot of credit to John Middleton, who made the commitment in the offseason to fix this team. And this was a critical juncture for this team. They needed to go into this offseason and figure out a way uh, to significantly improve. It's a team that is built to win now, and John Middleton, to his credit, uh, spent the money necessary for them to do so. So talking about the Phillies and John Middleton and whether your opinion of him has changed uh, based on the early returns of the Phillies certainly has for me. Um, so, and maybe that's a good way to put it. Somebody had tweeted me during the break. Thanks for the in- incomprehensible social media gripe. Um, but I guess that's, that's uh, a good way to put it. It's, it's the early season uh, bullpen for me. What has turned me on John Middleton? If that, has anything to do with the social media, right? Do you understand any more what I'm saying, Mike? You you seem totally uh, dumbfounded over there. But uh, no. if 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 you if I was making the point that I my opinion has changed about John Middleton, mm. it would be the 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 way I would use the social media gripe would be it's the early season work of the bullpen oh, gotcha. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's kind of what it, you still seem like you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't uh, acknowledge my acknowledgement. It's very tough to explain, and I'm sorry if I have confused anybody. 215-592-9494. Also, um, the fans on Monday night. Like, I did not realize how much I missed fans at games until Monday night. Uh, I thought I was good with just the games, and it's better than nothing, obviously. But having that kind of element where it's Mets-Phillies and 
Mets Phillies at the ball at Citizens Bank Park. That's what you expect. Like you expect the fans to be going back and forth. You expect those disgusting Met fans to make the trek down 95 and infiltrate the ballpark. And yeah, they're annoying, but it's fun. And it seemed to me like fans were actually back for the first time on Monday night. And I didn't realize how much I missed it until this game um, between the Phillies and the Mets. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Matt in Guam. What's up, Matt? Hey, how you guys doing? Good. How you doing, man? Good. Uh, when baseball came back last summer, I think July or whatever it was, I listened to a lot of sports on the radio being on Guam. And remember there was a group out in uh, outside of Citizens Back Park, like, cheering along the Phillies? Yeah, the, the pandemic know, when, when crew. Back. Yep, yeah, led by so our, like uh, I, our buddy Butch and Maniok. Yeah. yeah, and, like, I could hear that on the radio. But, like, you know, obviously it was a, a product of the pandemic. So it was somewhat weird that every league had, like, pumped in crowd noise and everything. So I agree that having actual fans, uh, it comes through – in the radio, and it comes through for the games. I think it is a, a sort of sense of normalcy. What isn't uh, super normal is the Phillies being 4-0 and the Flyers winning a game against the Bruins. But I definitely enjoy both the Mets imploding and the Bruins imploding on the same day of sports. Oh, yeah, it's great. Isn't There's nothing better than the Mets imploding, Matt. There's just oh, nothing yeah. better than it. Yeah. So yeah, then, it was it, it was fun to watch. So are you able to see a lot of games in Guam, or is are you basically just relegated to listening? Uh, well, if I go to the bar and watch, yeah. But like, uh, remember Monday night for you guys is Tuesday, you know, midday for me. Like, right. I'm in the future. So right. like, I have to go to the bar at lunch, and you know that doesn't really fly with work and that kind of thing. So it's all pretty much all radio unless the weekend and then I can work it out. Yeah. Well, now you can listen. Uh, you can listen on the Odyssey app, Matt. So that's that's a that's an added bonus now. Yeah, I was looking for my old app, Radio.com, and I was like, what happened? Like I was scrolling through the ten pages of apps, you know. I was like, where is Radio.com? And it updated it yeah. for me, which I was grateful for. But I didn't find that thing for a while. Yeah, no, it it automatically flips over. So make sure you're listening. Uh oh, oh he, apparently you can't in Guam. Mike says. But no, we can. Uh, no, we listen. Oh, well, he I, listens. I, I, All right. I well, listen on satellite. I listen on satellite for sports. Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. All right. Sounds yeah. good, Matt. Well, uh, I I hope you enjoyed the game, and I hope uh, the Phillies can keep the Phillies can keep it up. Yeah, right on. Right, One sixty-two and zero. There, there we go. I absolutely appreciate it, man. Thanks. Why, why do you got to crash the party, Mike? Like we're having a good cutting it up about the Odyssey app, and um, you know, listening, and you got to break in with your. Uh, with your uh, accurate, um, you know, take here, I, we don't need to. You know, we don't. We don't I need didn't to be crash accurate with anything. I left it up there to give you the option. Well, you, then you say he's in Guam, he can't, and then you add not to not to the Phillies. Like, a, you know, we can just say he can't. Doesn't you matter. know, maybe uh, maybe we tell him accurate information. No, you know, uh, I I I didn't know I didn't know that. So uh, fair enough. That's why I gave you the option to. And I, I'll tell you what, I, now, you would know better than me here. Do we have to do any work with the syncing? Because I put on the Odyssey app for a minute in this game, and it was perfectly synced up with the TV. I mean, it was great. Uh, <laughs> if I had to guess, that was probably just a coincidence. Okay. Um, because, he, I, I, okay, I just, I just I didn't know. know. It was perfectly synced up. Uh, so you know you listen to Scott in L.A. or if, or you can listen to that, that's another thing that makes it feel like sports is back when you get the the wholehearted T Mac laugh. 
that's always a good a good one. Uh, the the Tom McCarthy laugh um, with uh, John Cruck on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Um, but I did want to uh, play some sound for you real quick, and this was something I knew was happening. I didn't know it was starting this week, but. Are you a uh, are you a Jeopardy guy, Mike? Do you uh, uh, watch Jeopardy? There are some people who watch Jeopardy like religiously, watch it every night. No, um, no? no. My roommate was so good at it, though. Like I'm he, he would watch it, and like if I popped in the room, he would be great at it. I just don't get how people get those answers so quickly. I mean, it's pretty. It, you you got to be you got to be really on the ball there to to I agree. get it. I agree. Um, so they're doing these guest hosts now. As Alex Trebek uh, unfortunately passed away, um, and they're trying to find his replacement. And Aaron Rodgers stepped in, and uh, he had, um, I guess, his audition starting Monday night. And he's going to be doing this for the next two weeks. Uh, but I saw some clips of it. Did a really good job. Like Aaron Rodgers, I think, has the proper demeanor for like. Jeopardy. You know, he's pretty understated, not very enthusiastic, and that's what you need from a Jeopardy host. Um, but here was a funny clip, and this is the end. I guess the the guy, uh, the contestant, didn't have a uh, good final answer, uh, so here's what he uh, responded with as his final answer to Final Jeopardy. And, you know, obviously going back to the uh, the NFC Championship game and Matt LaFleur's, uh, as as Stephen A. would say, LaFleur, his uh, decision to kick the field goal, uh, it would have been even funnier if he said, you know, why didn't you run that ball in? Which would have completed, completed my same game parlay that day. I'm still pissed off about that. Um, but uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Here's one more from Aaron Rodgers as he closed up uh, Jeopardy. Whatever this one's not this one's not even good anyway. We won't even, we don't have to worry about that one. Um, but uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a a good fit for Jeopardy. Like as a uh, as a host, I think he could do a good job on that show. And I, I was uh, thinking about it, and I wanted to throw this topic out there. Um, you know, and it could be an athlete or celebrity, but of an you know an athlete or celebrity. What, who would be a good host and for what game show? Like, if you imagine, because different people can, um, you know, fit different shows. Like, Aaron Rodgers good on Jeopardy. I don't think he'd be good on, like, The Price is Right or something like that. Or a show that involved more enthusiasm from the host. So, uh, what, you know, athlete or celebrity would be a good host for what game show? Uh, that that's uh, something I want to throw out there uh, as we uh, move forward here. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four two one five five nine two nine four nine four. I've got my own mock draft one point coming up later in the show. Um, but first, we got our draft expert Tony here wants to uh, give us uh, some of his predictions. What's up? Hey, Tony? what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on, Tony? 
Everything is okay. My man, Mike Angelina. Um, I wanted to go over um, the, the remaining rounds of the draft, but I wanted to tell you something you might not have known. I'm a seven-time America's Got Talent contestant as a singer. Really? So I'm out here trying to get some gigs in this tough market, man. Well, how many how many rounds did you advance through, Tony? Well, when I was with Hasselhoff, I ran into the second round. I've been a, I've been a couple of places like New York. When I went to Tennessee, I did make it the other times. They just didn't contact me back, and that wasn't necessarily mean you weren't good. It just means they got so many people. So you were judged. You were judged by David Hasselhoff. Yeah, he even pulled me back in the room, and I said, "What did I do?" He said, "Oh no, we want you to do a second song." So I made it to the second round, and that was the only time I advanced. So Hoff gave me some love. It's very tough on that show. They want a circus. They don't want a singer. There you go. I mean, the Hoff is a big star. He's a huge star in Germany, I think. Tony. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And matter of fact, he. I mean, no matter what Knight Rider did to make to have success, people don't give him the the due that he's due. He's done a lot of stuff for a lot of people, and he don't get the respect he deserves. Yeah. Uh, there you go, Tony. You're gonna have to sing you know? us a song sometime. Oh, definitely. I don't know if you have time now. But yeah, I'll we definitely do something. Yeah, we have time. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to do it now? Let's yeah. Do the draft stuff first. Well, you, you. How about you sing for us, and then you, uh, or, or how about you give us your draft stuff, and then you'll sing for us at the end. How about that? Okay. Um, I did the first three rounds. Um, so you remember the picks from yesterday, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now in the fourth round, you go with um, I go with the um safety out of Pittsburgh. Um, I can't remember his name. Um. Well, there's a strong safety out of Pittsburgh, and um, I would guess he's a friend of um, Miles, um, the running back from the Eagles. And the um, so they got a fourth round pick. Now they only have one fifth round pick because they traded one with the Miami deal, and uh-huh. they they only have one fifth round pick now. With that fifth round pick, I'm getting Jacoby Stevens, safety out of LSU. You like he, him? He dropped because of his weight. Okay. So now you got um, – remember I got Andre Cisco earlier. He's your free safety. And then you got your strong safety with that, that safety at LSU. So you're good there. Okay. Now they got three, three um, six-round picks. Uh, I'm getting Jalen Twyman, defensive tackle out of um, Pittsburgh. Another Jalen. There you J- go. His name is Jalen Twyman. Yeah, another Jalen. 97. And uh, also that in the middle, if they use all three picks, I like Errol Thomas, middle linebacker out of um, out of Mississippi State. And I also like in that same round Rashad Weaver, defensive end out of Pittsburgh, if he's still there. Okay. All okay, right. Now, now they got two seventh-round picks. Did you want me to go that far? Sure, why not? Okay, now the seventh-round picks, you got your selections. I don't know if he's still going to be there, but I like Elijah Molden, cornerback out of Washington. He's short, so he may drop. You're also going to have a bunch of people that's going to drop there, like Chase Lucas, uh, Cameron Bynum out of Cal. You got a bunch, and uh, also Robert Rochelle out of Central Arkansas State. He's six wow. foot two, but I think he's going to get all the way to the seventh round. So he might not even go drafted. Robert Rochelle can ball. Central Arkansas State, you're going deep there, Tony. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's he's top rated, but they got him slipping because his draft is is thick with cornerbacks. And like I said, the cornerbacks I want is Aaron Robinson out of UCF, or you can go with Keith Taylor. Those are tall. Now, if you want to go with a tall 
um, person and convert him, you might be able to get Trayvon Morwig, who is like 6'3". He's a free safety out of TCU. Okay. Um, you might convert him to corner if you can. All right. And I found out that um, my man T.J. Carter um, out of Memphis, he, he transferred over to um, TCU. There you go. Well, let's get to let's get to your song, Tony. What 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 um genre of music do you specialize in? I do anything. I mean, um, it don't matter pop, R and B. All right. Well, yeah. you you just just let us know the song you're singing and who the artist is, and okay, then yeah. just let it rip. Do you know Jeffrey Osborne on the Wings of Love? Uh, yeah, of course. Because it's late, I want I don't want to be too loud, but I'm gonna do I'm gonna do what I can. Okay, sure. Just smile for me. And let the day begin Just like the sun shines Whenever you're around And I'm crazy for your loving Can't you see I'd be delighted If you would come with me On the wings of love Up and above the clouds The only way to fly is on the wings of love, on the wings of love, only the two of us together flying high. Tremendous, Tony. Thank you. you. Great job. Um, And, you know, keep pursuing your dream because I think you have what it takes. Thank you. I'm working on it, man. Yeah. God bless you and Mike as well. Thanks, uh, Tony. I appreciate it. Take it easy. That's Tony, our draft expert. I did not know Tony was that talented vocally. So how about that? Tony doubles as a draft expert and a musical artist. I thought he had a, a pretty pretty beautiful voice there. What do you think, Mike? I mean, well what, done. what would you grade him at? I, I, so, so Tony has personally been um, critiqued by the Hoff uh, in America's Got, Got Talent. Uh, David Hasselhoff is a big star in Germany. Do you know that? He's like massive in Germany. No, uh, no. I'll be honest. No, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, but yeah. So, uh, nice job by Tony. Um, and and if anybody else, if any other musical star wants to call in and give us a song, serenade us. You're welcome to. Uh, two one five five nine two nine four nine four two one five five nine two nine four nine four. When we get back, I got to talk about this Paul Pierce situation because. Paul Pierce got fired by ESPN on Monday, and it is absolutely absurd. I think I found a reason. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it when we get back. I don't think he did anything wrong. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about this when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, open lines right now, 215-592-9494. Still just taking in Tony's uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, song uh, in the last last segment there. Tony's our draft expert. Now he's our resident music guy. Tony Tony is, uh, we we might have to nominate Tony. 
for caller of the year. If we get a a, a nominee a Levi. for the WIP awards, yeah, we might have to nominate Tony as our um, nominee for caller of the year. Best musical act in a call. Yeah, best musical act in a call. If that's a uh, if that's a category, should be uh, Tony. Tony is probably the uh, front runner at this point. So um, great job, Tony. Seriously, really enjoyed it. Uh, so uh, talking a lot about the Phillies tonight. Obviously, uh, their big win. Uh, we'll get back to them. And also, I, I don't know if anybody else felt this way, but you know, I have been one who has not necessarily felt like I missed the fans all that much. Like, it's not something that has bothered me to the extent that I thought it would. Not having fans at games. Um, You just kind of became used to it after a while. Like, watching the NBA in the bubble last year kind of became so normal that I didn't have too much problems adjusting. This year, watching the games... I, you know, with no fans, it didn't really bother me. It just kind of became the way you got used to watching it. But Monday night was the first time I really realized how much I did miss it. To have that dynamic of the Phillies fans and the Mets fans going back and forth and, you know, having rival fans in your ballpark, it just felt different than all these other sporting events over the past year to me. And I want to know if anybody else kind of felt the same way, and it made me realize how much uh, I really have missed the fans and how much I really do want the fans back um, because uh, it it felt normal to me. For the first time Monday night, really since the pandemic, in a lot of ways, having that kind of fan back-and-forth interaction uh, felt normal in a way that it hadn't um, in the past few months. So if you want to get in, and whether you felt the same way, I'd love to hear from you. 215-592-9494. Now, I need to get to this story uh, from over the weekend regarding Paul Pierce. And we were talking about it last night before the show. I was in uh, on Sunday night prior to the show getting ready. And I had seen Paul Pierce's name trending. And I had asked Mike, I'm like, do you have any clue what's going on with Paul Pierce? Like, I, I, I just see his name trending. I hadn't really looked it up. I forgot about that, yeah. Right. And I, I just asked you, I'm like, is, what's going on with Paul Pierce? Now, you looked into it, and basically, and let me know if I'm getting any of the information wrong here, Paul Pierce had himself a time this weekend. You know, had himself a nice little time. Um, there were some pictures. Apparently, he went on Instagram Live. It was a video. Okay, well, there were screenshots taken as well. Video. And Paul Pierce was partying it up. Now, apparently what the, the the situation was, was this was a private poker game that Paul Pierce was at. I'm guessing, you know, Paul Pierce, a few other high rollers. Um, and Dave Paul, Scatino. I don't Oh, yeah, the guy who got gambling <laughs> issues in The Sopranos. He might have been there. Um, but basically, Paul Pierce is at some uh, exclusive poker game. He's having himself a few drinks. You could tell he's holding a drink, uh, but you could tell from his eyes he was enjoying a few drinks um, with a few ladies uh, that were not fully clothed. But, um, you know, what's the big deal necessarily? So Paul Pierce is, is drinking a little bit with some ladies, some dancers, it appeared. I don't want to make any assumptions. You know, these could be 
women that Paul just knows. But I, I don't think it's a crazy leap to assume these were, were, were dancers. Um, and, you know, he was smoking a cigar. What that cigar may have been filled with, you know, make your own conclusions. Based on Paul's eyes, I'm assuming that there may have been a little, a little marijuana involved. Now, you know, and I had asked Mike about this, and, you know, I see what the story is. I'm like, all right, well, that seems like kind of a non-story. So I decided it wasn't really worth going to last night. Well, ESPN comes back on Monday, and I see the report that Paul Pierce has been fired from ESPN. And the question I have is, like, what did Paul Pierce do wrong here? Like, ESPN fires Paul Pierce. What exactly did Paul Pierce do that he was not, you know, in his rights to do? He was having a few drinks, posting pictures with 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 a few women who he knows, whether they were dancers or not, that's not against the law. He's in a private, he's not driving. He's not doing anything reckless. Uh, what exactly is Paul Pierce doing wrong to deserve to get fired by ESPN? Like, I don't understand this. Do you understand, Mike? Like, I have no idea why Paul Pierce would be fired for anything that he did in this video, in these pictures. Uh, you know, can you argue that, that maybe you shouldn't post this kind of stuff? I guess, but... I mean, at, it's at, a pretty easy argument to make yeah, that, yes, you should not post it. Okay, fine. But at worst, I expect a slap on the wrist. In what way does what Paul Pierce did warrant being fired? So I just reviewed the 13-minute video, and I think there's something in there that they had to do something about. What? What did he do? He at one point says, I don't know who she is, but he says, Hey, what's up, Monica? I don't. I'm paraphrasing. What are you doing? You know, you like. What are you doing? Come over. You know, you can make some money tonight. I think. Uh, well, I, I. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that, I don't that's know. Not, you know, you don't want to hear that. I don't think NBA. Paul Pierce did anything worth being being fired about. Like hmm. he's he's post he's that's inappropriate. Posting a few pictures, posting a few pictures. Um, you know, with a few women, having a few drinks. Like I, I don't know. I I don't think. I don't think he did anything uh, worth being fired. I don't think ESPN, um, you know, you know, he apparently. I don't believe he said anything overly offensive. Um, no, I agree with I, that. I wouldn't say offensive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it was ridiculous that Paul Pierce would get fired when you know he didn't do anything that any adult isn't uh, in their rights to do. Like, should he have probably not posted it? Yeah, sure. Probably shouldn't have posted it. Uh, is that something that, that deserved a slap on the wrist? Maybe a, a, a couple shows off, a little suspension? Fine. But to fire him over this, I mean, people do way worse and get to keep their jobs. And, I mean, I'm not crying any tears for Paul Pierce. He's going to be fine. I mean, he posted his own video on Monday um, of him just laughing. Laughing at the situation. Paul Pierce has plenty of money. Um, he's not going to be hurt by this. But I just don't believe in any way uh, that he deserved uh, to be fired. I'll miss him on the jump because he got good answers out of Doc whenever they had him on as a guest. Is that right? They still have a good relationship from yeah. their time with the Celtics? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I, if, if you want to uh, give your opinion on that, you're welcome to. But I have no clue why Paul Pierce is fired. I mean, he's having a few drinks. A few ladies are with him. Uh, you know, they're having a good time. This is all consensual from what, uh, you know, uh, you can tell. It doesn't look like anybody's being, um, you know, is doing anything against their will. Uh, Paul Pierce, the, you know, he's, he's entitled to have a good time, and I don't think he should have been fired for it. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, um, I do want to uh, mention the trade that was made in the NFL on su- on Monday, how it may affect the Eagles, and I'll give you my uh, mock draft 1.0 as we go through the first 12 picks of the draft um, and uh, look at how things could set up for the Eagles uh, as we'll try to do one of these per week as we lead up to the draft over the next few weeks. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. In a uh, in a minute here, I want to talk about this NFL trade that went down on Monday that will likely affect the Eagles, and probably not in a positive way, leading up uh, to the NFL draft, as a team that was behind them uh, in the draft order, now in front of them, uh, traded for a quarterback. And uh, on its face, not great for the Eagles. As, you know, if you're an Eagles fan, you want as many quarterbacks as possible to go ahead of you uh, to, you know, have those other positions drop down because the Eagles are not going to take a quarterback at 12. But um, uh, we'll get to that in in a second. Um, talking about the Phillies as well, we'll get back to the Phils. And also, this Paul Pierce thing, I'm going to know. Does, do you believe Paul Pierce should have been fired by ESPN? Gets fired. He posted a video on Instagram. A couple pictures taken from it. To me, you know, he's enjoying an, uh, uh, some drinks. Um, enjoying cigar, whether what the cigar was filled with. You know, you can make your own determinations on that. It doesn't really matter to me. To each their own. Uh, do whatever. You, do whatever you want. Uh, with some some ladies who may have been uh, dancers. You know, compensated for their time. And there's nothing. Uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's at a, uh, a private poker game, and ESPN fired Paul Pierce. And I don't know why he was fired. I don't know what he did to warrant being let go. So if you want to get on that, uh, you're welcome to. Um, you know, I, I don't know what Paul Pierce did uh, to break any laws. To um, You know, it's not like he was driving. It's not like he was endangering anybody. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a little confused as to why ESPN felt the, found uh, uh, the need uh, to let Paul Pierce go. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Joe in Cherry Hill. What's up, Joe? Hello? Yo, Joe, what's going on? Yeah, uh, when I heard this story about Paul Pierce, it reminded me uh, of something that happened to Sonny Jurgensen back in 64 
when I was about 19. It was like about a mile from my house in Haddon Township. Uh-huh. Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, I guess you weren't even born by then, right? What, what's that? 1964, were you... Uh, no, I was uh, I was still about 23 years from being born at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so here's what happened. And I, I, to this day, I think it was ridiculous. Uh, the Eagles were owned by a guy called Jerry Warman. Okay. Owned the, the Yellow Cab Company in Philly. And uh, <clears throat> I, I believe it was on a Sunday night. There was a bar there called Daly's, but it's not around anymore. But anyway, Sonny Jurgensen sitting in his car in the parking lot of that bar. And he got a couple six-packs of beer, and he's drinking it. And there was a young woman with him. And um, I would say she wasn't old enough to go in the bar, but she was no little kid. I mean, she was probably 20, you know. Okay. Anyway, they're sitting in the car drinking the beer, and somebody called the Haddon Township Police, and they showed up. He was arrested and charged with uh, contributing to the delinquency of a minor. And a day later, he was on the Washington team. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's comparable to this this uh, situation, Joe. I, pr- I appreciate the call, man. I I don't I don't see the similarities between, and I don't know enough about that situation where I, you know, I'd rather just uh, steer clear of that there. But um, yeah, I don't see that very comparable to the to the Paul Pierce thing. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, two one five five nine two. Uh, 9494. I did want to talk real quick about uh, the NFL trade that took place on Monday as um, another team filled their need for a quarterback. And this is not very good for the Eagles. Um, as the Carolina Panthers make a move uh, with the Jets, they get Sam Darnold. Um, Sam Darnold ends up uh, going to Carolina ends up going to Carolina for a fourth-round pick this year, I believe, and then next year a second-rounder and a sixth-round pick, which for the Jets, I mean, I think that's pretty good value considering the way uh, Sam Darnold played there. Now, I was never high on Sam Darnold. I didn't understand why he was such a highly touted prospect. Um, But that being said, you got terrible coaching. Uh, When you have Adam Gase as your coach, you're playing for the Jets, that is a very difficult environment to thrive in and Sam Darnold now go to Carolina I'm not sure uh, you know I don't think it's a bad move for Matt Rule and the Panthers because you take a shot with him for one year you see if he's any good if he is you resign him if not you let him go and you really didn't give up too too much I mean a second rounder next year is not nothing um, but it's certainly not uh, that prohibitive of a price where you don't take a shot on a guy. Like, you take a shot now on a guy who potentially could be good. If he's not, it's not really going to crush you. But if you're the Eagles, you're not loving this move because Carolina's drafting eighth, and they were a team who would would have been thought to be in the mix for a quarterback. I mean, they had Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, they didn't think too highly of Teddy Bridgewater. If they're going out to make this move for Sam Darnold, they don't view Bridgewater as their future. And you'd think this would take them out of the mix for a quarterback at eight. Um, So on its face, it doesn't look great for the Eagles, but there's always the possibility a team moves up and moves in there as well. And I'm not really a big mock draft guy. 
I have never done one before. Um, but I, I, I wanted to do one uh, every week leading up to the draft today. And we'll just go through the Eagles pick at number 12. And we'll see how it changes uh, from this week to next week. But based on what we know at this point, I'll give you my mock draft 1.0. And, Mike, let me know what you think here. Uh, at number one, I have the Jaguars taking Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback from Clemson. That's pretty uh, obvious, right? Great job. Okay. Uh, at number two, I have the Jets taking Zach Wilson, quarterback from BYU. What do you think of that? Pretty accurate? I think that's going to happen, too. Now, at number three, the 49ers. We know they are moving into that spot to draft a quarterback. The question is, which quarterback will they draft? You hear a lot of different things. You hear a lot of Mac Jones, which uh, probably the the source that gives you kind of the greatest indication it would be Mac Jones is Chris Sims, who's like very good friends with Kyle Shanahan. He's saying Mac Jones. But I think that's throwing people off the scent. I don't think it's going to be Mac Jones. I think the 49ers take Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota State at number three. That's my selection for the Niners at number three. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they're they're certainly going to take a quarterback, it seems. Yeah. Uh, number four, the Falcons. I have them taking Penai uh, Sewell, the tackle from Oregon. Um, number five with the Bengals. I think they take Jamar Chase, the receiver from LSU. Agree. Played with Joe Burrow at LSU. Uh, Joe Burrow apparently wants the Bengals to take him. They need a number one receiver in you know the wake of A.J. Green aging and ultimately leaving. So I think that's where uh, they end up going at five. The Dolphins at six, I have them taking Kyle Pitts, the tight end from uh, Miami. Now they have Mike Kosicki, uh, the tight end from Penn State, who had a pretty good year, but Kyle Pitts apparently a guy who can move all over. They need a weapon for Tua. I think that's the route they go. Uh, at number seven, the Lions, I have them taking Jalen Waddell the receiver from Alabama. I think Waddle's going to go before Devontae Smith. What do you think about that, Mike? Like, Devontae Smith won yeah. the Heisman, but I think Waddle is viewed right now as the, the, the better prospect. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. It seems like he uh, he's just a little bit more refined, it seems like, and people trust him a little bit more at the pro level. And more explosive, I think, too. Could um, be. At number eight, and this is where Carolina is picking, but this is where I don't think it's really going to hurt the Eagles that much. Because this is a prime spot for a team who needs a quarterback to trade into. And the team, I think, will trade into this spot, the New England Patriots, uh, trading into the Carolina spot in the draft. I have the Patriots trading to eight and taking Mac Jones at number eight. Um, would, you like that one? Yeah. I think that's possible. That'd I think cool to see. I do think the Patriots are going to trade up for a quarterback. They have to. I mean, you're not going to go with Cam beyond this year, you no. wouldn't think. And Yeah. I, I really like Mac Jones. I, I just... It'd be cool to see him go to a team that like knows what they're doing. Yeah. Um, the Broncos at nine, I think they also draft a quarterback. I think they take Justin Fields, quarterback from Ohio State. If the if the Broncos can get either Jones or Fields at nine, I think they've done pretty well for themselves. And without, yeah, without picking up a phone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the way it's going to work out. So I still think, you know, if you're the Eagles, and this is why the trade back made so much sense. Like, five quarterbacks, I am fully convinced, whether it's trade-ups or or something of that nature. Five quarterbacks are going to go before the Eagles at 12. Then, number 10, I have the Cowboys taking Patrick Sertan, the cornerback from Alabama. They need a corner. Uh, I think he makes sense for them. I have the Giants taking Micah Parsons, the linebacker. He just seems like a Joe Judge guy. I mean, mm -hmm. Joe Judge is going to take a linebacker. 
Um, and then the Eagles at number 12. I think the Eagles end up with Devontae Smith. I think that's the guy. As of this week, Mach 1.0, I think Devontae Smith, the receiver from Alabama. What do you think of that, Mike? It could happen. I think a lot of people would be pleased with that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting. But um, certainly, I, I think it works the Eagles' favor. It not great that Carolina uh, traded for Sam Darnold, considering they were in the mix for a quarterback. But I still think they end up trading out of that spot and somebody trades up. Uh, to draft a quarterback. 215-592-9494. Let's get Chuck in here. What's up, Chuck? Hey, how you doing, TJ? What's going okay. on? Uh, I think the reason Pierce got canned was uh, who owns ESPN? Do you know? Uh, Disney. A- ABC? Yeah, ABC, Disney, yeah. Yeah, well, Disney, there you go. Goodbye, Paul Pierce. Yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, no, Disney's that's, not that's, totally... That's what, Pure. It's not like they've had people not do things wrong in the past and kept well, them around. Well, that's, that's my reason. That's why I think he got uh, Disney. I think you got to go to the top of the food chain here. And they, they, they said they don't need that garbage on TV. Yeah, I get I it, but it's, he, not on, it's not on TV. I mean, yeah, but it's out there on social media, you know. But, what did he, but that's the point, Chuck. What did, what did he do wrong? I mean, he's having a couple drinks with, with a couple ladies. I mean, he didn't I do don't think he did anything wrong, but that's Disney, that's not, you know, in their image. It's somebody higher up made the decision. I don't think it was ESPN. I think it was somebody at Disney. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess that's possible. I mean, it's all interconnected. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I don't think he did anything to deserve to be fired. Is, right. is yeah, I just have one more. Uh, I'm going sure. to ask you a question. Yeah, sure. How about the kid from Florida, the quarterback from Florida? Do you like him at all? Kyle Trask? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, had, he certainly had a great year. Uh, this year, Chuck, I th- I'd be interested in him, you know, in kind of those mid rounds. Like if he's around in the third round, like I imagine he'll be gone by then. But if he's there in the third round, I'd absolutely take a look at him because the, the Eagles quarterbacks coach, Brian Johnson, he was Florida's offensive coordinator last year. Yeah, and I mean, he, I he did he a nice job. Pro, with pro offense. Yeah. No, I think that's a possibility, Chuck. I definitely do. I, I definitely right. look at him. Thanks yep. a lot. Appreciate Bye. it. Thanks. Yeah. No, and – that's the thing. Like, the Eagles are going to draft a quarterback. They're not going to draft one in the first round. They're going to draft a quarterback at some point here. And uh, Kyle Trask is a guy who really interests me. Um, had a really good year in 2020 uh, in that Florida offense, and the connections are there. Um, Brian Johnson, who's the Eagles' new quarterbacks coach, uh, was the offensive coordinator for Florida last year. And um, he's a guy that I would look at because, you know, the Eagles are going to draft a quarterback. They're going to look to develop a quarterback. And um, I think that's the right way to go. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like when the Eagles talk about, you know, moving to uh, continue to develop quarterbacks. But I think it's a smart way to build. And uh, if the Jalen Hurts thing doesn't work out, which, I mean, you'd be crazy to just fully commit to him. I'd like to have another guy that you're developing. And if Kyle Trask is there in, like, the third round, you have, um, you know, that that pick, I'd certainly consider looking to bring him in. If the quarterback's coach, Brian Johnson, likes him, those guys worked together last year at Florida, and that offense uh, got good results last year, I would absolutely um, consider uh, making that pick. And I think he's a guy that the Eagles are going to are gonna look into. 215-592-592. 9494 if you want to get in 
215-592-9494. When we get back, we'll uh, get back to talking about the Phillies a little bit. And one of the best parts of this game, which was the Mets imploding. It just gives you so much joy to see. Uh, We'll get back to that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning, if you want to get in. Uh, open lines right now, 215-592-9494, talking about a number of things tonight. Uh, talk about the Eagles and uh, the uh, Carolina Panthers trading for Sam Donald, how that could affect the Eagles in the draft. I don't think it'll affect them uh, that much. Uh, obviously, Carolina drafting ahead of the Eagles. Uh, you want as many teams ahead of you who need quarterbacks as possible. So on its face, it's not great. But I think somebody trades up for that spot. And I give you my latest mock, my first mock in the last segment. Um, I think the Patriots, you know, there are a number of teams that could trade up for a quarterback. And I think five quarterbacks are going to go ahead of the Eagles. And they're going to be left with an opportunity uh, to get a pretty good player at number 12. Uh, as of now, I think Devontae Smith's going to be the guy. Um, and if the Eagles were to come away with Devontae Smith, um, that would be a pretty good outcome. So uh, talking about that, um, we touched on this Paul Pierce situation and whether Paul Pierce should have been fired. I think it was kind of ridiculous he got fired. He posted an Instagram video. He's at a private poker game, having some drinks. Some ladies were there. I mean, nothing uh, you know, illegal going on, and Paul Pierce got fired for it. I think that was a little over the top, you know, maybe a – slap on the wrist, but to fire the guy um, when he didn't do anything illegal, uh, I think that was was a little ridiculous. So if you want to chime in on that, you're welcome to. But our main thing tonight, uh, talk about the Phillies, as they are now 4-0 after a really exciting game down at Citizens Bank Park. And we were talking about the fan aspect of it earlier, and uh, that was, for me, something that was great to see on Monday, is you know, that atmosphere of the Phillies and Mets fans going back and forth. And it was the first time that I've really felt since the whole pandemic hit and everything that fans were truly back. Like, we've had smatterings of fans at a number of different games. But this was the first one where you could tell, like, the fans were really into it. It felt like a real sporting event again. Um, you know, the let's go Mets chance and then the boos to drown them out. The reactions when either team did good by either group of fans. And it just felt normal again. And that was one of the really cool things uh, about this game. But in general, just a tremendous game. Uh, if you missed it and you're just getting up now, um, Philly's down 2 nothing for most of the night. I mean, Jacob DeGrom completely unhittable uh he gets taken out after seven innings which i don't i I don't understand it i don't get it at all 77 pitches Degrom gets pulled uh they go to trevor may and you know the phillies able to, to to string together um some runs in that inning uh able to string together some hits and rally as one out brad miller pinch hits he gets things started with the base hit Andrew McCutcheon works a walk. Reese Hoskins, a really good at bat with two strikes, able to to 
poke a single to right. Then Bryce Harper gets hit. Um, that forces in the first run, JT Real Muto. A single knocks in the next run. Um, and then an error by the Mets uh, on a throw to the plate. Ends up scoring two. Phillies end up getting three in the inning. Jose Alvarado comes in in the ninth. Gives up a couple hits. Um, but Alvarado had good stuff. Uh, just a couple, you know, good at-bats by the Mets. Give him credit. But he ends up getting out of it, and the Phillies win 5-3. to three. And really the story of this game to me is, you know, I don't know if this is sustainable long-term. I don't know if this is going to be a playoff team. But what we all do know is that this team is dramatically improved. And on paper, they are so much better than they were last year. And the guy that deserves credit for that is John Middleton. And what he was able to do, what he committed to doing this past offseason, which was spending on the bullpen, spending to bring JT Romito back, Spending to bring Didi Gregorius back and fixing the holes that existed on this roster. John Middleton, who we all had all questioned, and for good reason, after the pandemic and, you know, after last season and the way he was speaking, he did not sound like a guy who was going to commit to winning. And let's face it, with where this farm system was, what this team had in terms of prospects, the only way that the Phillies were going to get out of this, out of this kind of mediocrity that they were in, was to spend. And to John Middleton's credit, he did what was necessary. He went out, he hired a real general manager in Dave Dombrowski. He spent the money, he allowed Dave Dombrowski to do what he needed to do to fix this team. By solidifying the bullpen, bringing back uh, Real Muto and Gregorius, filling out the rotation with veterans and Moore and Chase Anderson. And John Milton deserves uh, a heck of a lot of credit for that. Um, and uh, what we have seen early on this season, I think uh, John Middleton deserves uh, the bulk of the, uh, of the adulation for what this team has done. 215-592-9494. Another aspect of this game that was just so great is it is so great to see the Mets implode. You know, just it, it, it it's it's tremendous to see that team do what they do. And it's why I didn't get all the hype surrounding uh, the Mets in the offseason. Like I know that they made some splashy moves. And they sign Francisco Lindor, or they trade for San Francisco Lindor, end up signing him long term. Um, you know, the Mets are always a team that looks good on paper, but some organizations you just doubt because they always find a way to screw it up. And that's what the Mets do. They always find a way to screw it up. And, uh, you know, just look at what they have done with Jacob DeGrom. And I couldn't believe this stat that I saw on Monday night. But this is courtesy of uh, Mike Axisa, who uh, works for CBS Sports. He tweeted this out in regards to Jacob DeGrom. And it's almost, it, it's almost incomprehensible that this is the case. But since 2018, Jacob DeGrom has an ERA of 2.07. In those games, the Mets are 36-41. and 41. Like, how is that even possible? When you get that great of starting pitching, 
You were five games under 500, and we're not talking about a small sample size here. That's almost half a season. I mean, 36 and 41, I mean, you're talking about, uh, what? what is that, 77 games? And they're under, they're five games under 500? How is that even possible? Uh, and the reason it's possible, it's because of the Mets. And the Mets always find a way uh, to screw things up. And that's the way I always feel about this organization. I just love seeing them fail, and they totally imploded in the eighth inning. I have no clue what they were doing pulling DeGrom early. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. But I have no clue what the Mets were doing pulling DeGrom. And they are just one of my least, they are one of my most hated teams. Like when the Phillies and Mets are both competitive, it is just so great to see the Phillies win that matchup. And what's so ironic about where the Mets and Phillies are right now is we've been talking a lot tonight about John Middleton and his commitment to building this team and his commitment to spending the money. And this was, as we we talked about a lot during the offseason, a big part of the conversation was would John Middleton commit to spending money? And in a lot of ways, I feel like he was inspired and had the pressure put on him by the Mets because what did we see from the Mets this offseason? They end up getting purchased by Steve Cohen, who he comes in and he is a different kind of owner. You know, he's soliciting for advice on Twitter. He's spending big money. He wanted to come in and make a big splash. And I feel like that may have really impacted John Middleton. And people within the Phillies organization felt the same way. Here was Larry Boa uh, during spring training talking about the fact that the Mets and Cohen may have kind of impacted Middleton's thinking and motivated him this offseason. Early, I was, uh, I'm not going to say disappointed, but I was was scratching my head a little bit because as you well know, it's been well documented that bullpen last year was a complete mess down there. And uh, it wasn't through who we were using or bringing in. Guys just couldn't get people out. We had some guys down there with experience. They just weren't getting the job done. So as the winter progressed, now this is just me talking. I saw the Mets change ownerships. And once they changed ownerships, they start spending money. And John Middleton is a very, very competitive person. And I guarantee you, I have not talked to John about this. This is just my speculation. He probably looked down the turnpike there and said, wait, wait a minute here. This team's getting really good. We need to start doing something. And then, obviously, they hired Dave. And I think everything sort of fell into place after that. And I feel the same way. Like, uh, it didn't seem like John Middleton was viewing things that way. Then, you know, but... You get pressure put on you. I mean, you get pressure put on you uh, by your division rivals. And these guys, they are are very competitive. And here's Dave Dombrowski. Dave Dombrowski was on with our, our guy, Mad Dog Russo. And Dombrowski was asked about that very issue, whether Steve Cohen impacted John Middleton's thinking this past offseason. Maybe Steve Cohen had a little something to do with it. Maybe the fact that you're not going to sit there and watch the team fall apart. You want to win now, and that changed the ownership's viewpoint of what could be done in 2021. Do I have that read right? What's your thoughts? I think so. I think so. When it came on board, um, we had a nice conversation with John Middleton, um, our control interest 
individual and the Buck family. And, and basically it made the presentation to me that let's not do anything that would be foolhardy for the short term, but let's try to be competitive right off the beginning and from the very start. And when you look at the club and you look at the personnel and you say that Phillies haven't had a winning season in nine years, and you start looking at some of the players that, that are on the club, especially if you bring Riamulto and Gregorius back, which we were fortunate enough to do, and you add them to Bryce Harper, and you got Hoskins in the lineup, and you end up having a young guy like Bohm, and McCutcheon's still a solid player. And then two starters at the top of the rotation, like Nolan Wheeler and a young guy like Eflin Cummins, you could see that there's a lot of good talent there. So to just say, okay, we're looking at the future, we're just going to build back, I don't think that's an acceptable situation for us. I think we made a push and we're trying to add some people that we have and try to compete and win our division this year. And it wasn't an option. Like looking to the future for the Phillies wasn't an option. And when they did what they did in 2019, when they signed Bryce Harper, they traded for JT Romito, signed Andrew McCutcheon, the Phillies made a declaration that they were trying to win now. And you can't kind of backtrack after that. And I think that was the fear that's that that's what the Phillies were going to do, that they were going to backtrack. But when you are put in the situation they were put in and you don't have the farm system, you don't have the prospects to develop, the only way to get out of it is spending money. And, you know, here was Steve Cohen, when you look at the mess aspect of it and whether he motivated Middleton, here was Steve Cohen back when he was when he bought the team talking about his approach to building the Mets. You know, listen, we're we're trying to formulate the, those thoughts today. I mean, you know, I can I can promise you we're going to act like I said, like a major market team. Are we going to act like drunken sailors? You know, in 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 the marketplace, no. Okay, so you know, listen, I want to be thoughtful. You know, you can spend a lot of money today and then tie up your team in bad contracts for the next five years. Okay, which. You know, so that's part of building a sustainable franchise. You want to make decisions, not what works for the next, you know, 60 games, but works for the next few years. And so, um, you know, we want to be thoughtful about it. I think that, you know, we're in an unusual market today, you know, given COVID, where a lot of teams might, and we're starting to see uh, players, you know, maybe being offloaded because of, uh, financial concerns and and I think Sandy and I want to take advantage of that so I think there'll be lots of opportunities I think uh, teams are going to want to talk to us and we'll see what we'll see what's available and you know I, I do think that motivated Middleton because John Middleton ended up spending money it didn't sound like he was going to spend money here was John Middleton again this was right after the season uh, talking about uh, his approach when asked about JT Real Muto headed to free agency kind of figured he's going to be heading to free agency. We figured that a long time ago, and that's I see no change in that, Jim. I you know, think he'll be the clip filing for free agency. Can you tell me what, what, what the governor and the mayor of Philadelphia are going to allow us to have next year in the way of fans? Because if you, if you do, you know something that I don't. So I have no idea what we're going to be allowed. And obviously that's going to determine revenues, and revenues determines what, what you can do and what you can't do. So, but yeah, is it a priority? Of course, absolutely. And we were well within our rights, I mean, to, to be questioning John Middleton at the time. Um, those comments at the time didn't sound like a guy who was willing to come out and spend a ton of money and do what he needed to do to fix this team in the offseason. But somewhere along the way, and I don't know if it was Steve Cohen buying the Mets, 
I don't know if it was us complaining on this station, whether it's hosts or callers, uh, because I do think that stuff has an impact in the embarrassment of that press conference, the way this organization was being viewed. But somewhere along the way, John Middleton's mindset changed. And he decided he would be willing to do what it took to fix this team. And for that, he deserves a lot of credit. And, you know, I I think he has proven to be a man of his word. John Middleton said a long time ago that he was committed to winning and he would would do whatever it took to get his trophy back. He has proven to be a man of his word in that regard. To hire a legit GM in Dombrowski, give Dombrowski the resources and the money to do what he needs to do, whether that is bring in the guys to fix the bullpen, which it looks like the Phillies have. I mean, it's early, but the early returns returns have been great. Archie Bradley's been very good. Alvarado has been tremendous. Um, You know, those middle inning guys. Kinsler, Coonrod, Brogdon, all keeping that game within reach on Monday. Phillies are 4-0 right now, and a lot of that has to do with their bullpen, and a lot of that has to do with the money they spent in the offseason, and John Middleton is 100% responsible for that. He deserves all the credit. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. We were talking draft earlier, and... um. Talking about the quarterbacks in the draft. Well, there was a controversy this week involving one of the quarterbacks and Dan Orlovsky, a little ESPN feud here um, between a couple analysts. Who doesn't love a good feud? And we have a little uh, feud we got to touch on when we get back. And whether Dan Orlovsky was out of line in one of the things he reported on Pat McAfee's show. We'll talk about that a little bit coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham with you for another uh, few segments here. We'll talk to Al for the Overlap Show. I didn't get to this at all yet, but I saw this was actually something people were uh, discussing uh, last week. But Jalen Hurts changing his number uh, from number two to number one. Really big news there. Earth shattering. I, I like I, I don't like the move. I'll just say that. I don't like the uh, number change. What, do you have any input, anything on this, Mike? Uh, any any uh, opinion whatsoever on it? Seemed totally unnecessary, but uh, I, I thought it was funny that once Carson revealed his number, you know, Hurts had to get off at that one. And also had to reflect his change in the depth chart. Yeah, I I, I liked. I I thought he looked good in number two. I thought that was a. Uh, that I thought that number suited him well. Um, but I guess. It's a way for him, I guess, to because he probably gets some money from those jersey sales, right? So anybody that draw bought a number two now have to buy a number one if they want to be accurate. If they want to be accurate, be a business be. decision for him. <laughs> um, but, but he was he was two at Alabama, I think, and then one at Oklahoma. Right. Um, so yeah, Jalen Hurts changes number, and then the other thing with the NFL number changes. I hope they don't do this because I don't. I, I like it in college, but it would be like jarring in the pros where they might change the numbers 
to where like receivers and running backs can wear the symbol single number. Yeah, you can't have that. That's a that's a college thing. That's not a pro thing. Yeah. Don't you got to keep it the way it is. Um, but uh, we'll we'll see if they end up doing that. But uh, we were talking about the draft earlier and the quarterback situation, and um, you know the, the guy who's become the big media darling of late. Not on this show. I mean, I, I I've told you for a while now. I'm I'm out on Dan Orlovsky. I mean, Dan Orlovsky has become really a caricature of himself. Like, he used to be a legitimate analyst. Now he's just one of those guys who jumps on and just says whatever crazy thing he wants to say. And, you know, he's doubled down a, a billion times on the Carson Wentz thing, which, after a while, it's just like, admit you were wrong. Admit you were wrong. Admit that Carson Wentz isn't very good. But Dan Orlovsky... Uh, has refused to do so. Now, Dan Orlovsky got himself in some hot water um, last week when he was on Pat McAfee's show. Uh, and he was ta- And I guess this is, um, you know, Pat McAfee uh, has talked to a lot of people involved in the NFL lately. Uh, had Carson Wentz on, now Orlovsky, and uh, they were talking about Justin Fields. And Justin Fields is an interesting case because I think a few weeks ago he was probably thought to be the second pick in the draft like I think most people expected the Jets would have gone with him at number two um instead you know Zach Wilson has passed him now it looks like he's not going to be the guy for the 49ers at number three and he is dropping down the uh down the prospect rankings when you look at the NFL draft well Dan Orlovsky was on Pat McAfee's show, and he passed on some not-so-flattering information on Justin Fields. Here's what Dan Orlovsky had to say last week. Yeah, I mean, so I saw the the whole thing, like they want to know if he could read defenses, right? People who say he can't get off number one, don't. once they say that, stop listening to them. Um, I think that the Justin Fields thing, and because I've made a couple calls about this, like why Justin Fields, why is he falling this and that? And I can just share, these are not my opinions. These are the things that have shared been shared with me. Okay, smart. Um, one... I have heard that he is a last guy in, first guy out type of quarterback, like not the maniacal work ethic. I've even heard it compared to Justin Herbert, where it was like, dude, when Justin Herbert showed up, it was like a psychopath when it came to working to get ready for the draft or or even at school. Like, give me more. I want to work nonstop. And I've heard that there are some questions with Justin Fields' work ethic, okay? And then the second thing is, like, um, how how like how do i phrase this the right way like how where is his desire to go be a great quarterback um i think that there is a desire to be a big time athlete um from what is expressed in you where is his desire to go be a great quarterback and to be great you got to be willing to find the things that you're not not good at and just freaking grind on who's telling you this stuff pretty high up people yeah yeah, people that are going to be at least um, uh, associated with decision-making. People are going to be associated with decision-making. What does that mean? Like, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know. It didn't sound to me like Dan Orlovsky's sources were all that firm there. Do you kind of get the same read on it or, or not really? Um, 
No, I mean, he's probably just echoing scouts or talent evaluators. I don't. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I really don't think it's a big deal. Okay. Well, you look at that, and it's like, if you're saying something like that, though, I mean, you got to make sure that you have the right information because, I mean, this is stuff that is pretty damaging. Like, if you're really hearing that stuff and it's getting out there, that can be pretty damaging to this kid's draft stock. Do you think though? Like, do you think like Matt Rule is going to pass on him because Dan Orlovsky like repeated what he heard somebody said? Could certainly. I mean, I absolutely think that stuff happens. No, well, they'll probably just like then like huddle from within and be like, "Okay, guys, Dan Orlovsky said this. Can anyone else? Anyone else hearing this? What's going on here?" And then they say, "Nope, you know, all clean there, nothing there." Seems like, yeah, well, seems like a good kid wants to play, and they move on. Yeah, and and maybe that's the case, but. Uh, it it got to the point where Dan Orlovsky felt like he needed to backtrack on it. Like if that that's the thing. Like if you're going to report something like that, fine, but you got to know that you have your sources correct. I guess, and I'm not saying this as somebody who's on the radio, but you know, let's face it, Dan Orlovsky has a much bigger platform than I have here, and you know, if you're saying something like that. You know, you should be. St- well, what? It was. It wasn't even his platform. Is the like the I guess the funny thing, right? But you know, still, if you're saying something like that, you know, you should be able to back it up. Like that's the thing. If you're reporting it, fine, but back it up. But Dan Orlovsky then I guess took some heat for it and felt the need uh, to backtrack. Here was his uh, clarification on what he said about Justin Fields uh, the day before. So Pat on yesterday's show asked me, like, hey, it sounds like Justin Fields is dropping. Why do you think that's the case? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. But I had done some digging, and teams had told me that there were concerns with his work ethic, how great he wanted to go be. And I said, that's, that's what I've heard, Pat. And then obviously it created a big conversation and narrative yesterday, Firestorm. So that forced me to do even more digging over the last 24 hours. And I've had two conversations that I want to put out there to kind of clarify the situation or put more out there about the situation. One conversation I had is with an offensive coach at Ohio State, and he said, tell them that's absolutely not true, that Justin Fields' work ethic is spectacular, um, that he is a guy that has great football IQ and he's always studying tape. And then the second conversation I had is with John Beck, who kind of trained Justin as he's headed into his pro day, and John's had a really positive experience saying that, like, listen, this guy's always working incredibly hard on the field. And even after we're done with our, our field drills, he's the guy that wants to stay after and work on different footwork or different throws. And so he's had a very good experience. So the reality is that um, I, I, I have heard those things from teams um, and they might feel that way. And um, this is also a season where teams are trying to say things to potentially get a guy to drop to them. And so I've just wanted to clarify and put it out there that like, listen, over the last 24 hours in more digging, that it seems or it sounds like Justin Fields' work ethic is fantastic. And that's coming from two people have, who have worked directly close to him. Now, I'm not surprised that the Ohio State coaches would tell Dan Orlovsky that Justin Fields is great and all this stuff. But in the end, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But the whole reason for, for talking about this is it inspired a feud. And who doesn't love a good feud? I mean, everybody love, loves a good uh, media-on-media feud when it's legitimate. And this one's legitimate. Uh, because in, in a quote tweet to Dan Orlovsky's clarification, apology, whatever 
that second comment was. Uh, Herbie, who Herbie doesn't seem like a confrontational guy. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet, um, college football analyst, he posted the three crying face emojis. Says, absolutely ridiculous. Even if you aren't saying it, to pass that along from people in the know is reckless and absurd. Embarrassing. So Her- Kirk Herbstreet and Dan Orlovsky are now in-, in a bit of a feud. Who would you take if it came to if it came to blows between Dan Orlovsky and Kirk Herbstreet? Who would you take, Mike? I mean, Orlovsky's younger. Um, yeah, but Herbie's more physically. Oh, I'm going with Herbie. Yeah, but I think Herbie. But Herbie's wrong the in this. Orlovsky's fine. Like what? Like why was Herbie embarrassed for Dan Orlovsky? Like why is that embarrassing for him? Well, I mean, I think I, I I do think this part of it is weird. Like, if Orlovsky's going to report it, okay, stick to your report. What is with coming out with basically an apology the next day, well, backtracking well, on your reporting? Like, well, he's just, trying to have it both ways. Either you're going to report it or you're not going to report it. Don't go backtracking yeah, yeah. on it, taking back what you're saying. That's not how I heard it. What How I heard it was he put out those statements and then – People who, you know, have stock in Justin Fields reached out to him and said, like, no, 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 he's a good kid. You know, add this, put my name on it and, you know, say he's, you know, he's a good kid, whatever, whatever he said. Well, there. shouldn't Orlovsky and, have done that kind of research before, you know, going out and spouting off to Pat McAfee? No, it's, no. It's very he, interesting to me no, he's that draft. Orlovsky is so, uh, you know, uh, he's so different in how he treats the information that he's getting you know he'll he'll believe a couple draft guys who really don't know justin fields in their maybe maybe i mean they're but i mean they're they're nfl team executives like they'll tell him what they're hearing they don't know justin fields intimately right like yeah i mean they'll hear what what, you know their intel says but they're not guys that have worked with them but Dan Orlovsky is the same guy who chooses to dismiss all this information about Carson Wentz coming from people who know Carson Wentz intimately. I think that's interesting. You know, he doesn't he doesn't acknowledge any of this bad stuff with Carson Wentz, even though that's what people who know Carson Wentz and are involved with the Eagles are saying. He dismisses all of that. None of that is true. None of that is true. No, nothing's true about Carson. But Justin Fields, oh yeah, we'll we'll bury this kid. It seems a little irresponsible to me. It seems like a bit of a Has double, he said that he double said, standard. He said Carson Wentz is it like what do you mean? Like what specifically has he said about Carson? Uh, Dan Orlovsky, have you heard anything he's ever said about Carson Wentz, Mike? Yeah, it's I, all I mean, glowing. I've heard it, like I remember last year he thought he was very talented and he thought that he, you know, was a good quarterback, but I don't like what do you mean like it's He said a few weeks ago that Carson Wentz has been alienated for years by the Eagles organization with no evidence whatsoever. Okay. I, did, did he not say that? I don't remember if he, he did. did. He did. Okay. He did. Okay. He said that. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, he 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 it, it's it's interesting what he chooses to believe and what he chooses to dismiss. You know, he'll spout off um opinions he gets from a few NFL executives about Justin Fields, but all this stuff he hears about Carson Wentz, ah, oh, it's all the Eagles fault. Not about Carson. It could never be. About but the, Carson. but if that's what he's hearing, that's what he's hearing. Like I don't know what he's supposed to do. That's the thing, and that. But that's the thing. I'd be fine with him reporting it and sticking behind it. But he comes back the next day with some odd clarification because he got two new sources. Okay, well, why don't you say that the day before? Why don't you check with all these sources the day before before you go out and you you rip a kid on national radio and you hurt his draft stock? He's, I don't think it actually matters to the draft stock. I think that's a separate. 
I just don't think that's true. But I don't think like Pat McAfee's looking at his guest list rundown and he sees Dan Orlovsky and then he tells Dan Orlovsky like, hey, we're going to talk about Justin Fields. I need you to go get in touch with, with John Beck and, you know, like, I don't think it goes like he, I think he just went on, does a million hits, does his own show, has a bunch of things going on. He was asked about Justin Fields. He clearly start. He clearly said he doesn't know. Starts the question, the response by saying, I don't know. Here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I hear. Right, but you you heard the second cut from Orlovsky. It sounded like he was, like, somberly apologizing. It sounded to me like he thought he did something wrong. Now, whether he did or didn't, that's up for debate. He probably got annoyed by the fall. I'm with you. I really didn't have a huge problem with what he said initially. But he's the one who felt the need to come out and clarify or apologize, or whatever. I got annoyed and, with the fallout. Yeah, I mean, but that, I mean that you're gonna have fallout when you when you when you rip a kid like that, and that's basically what he did. Mm. He did. I mean, I he said that the, he's hearing that Justin Fields has a terrible work ethic. He's a you know a, a kid who doesn't want to be great. All this stuff. I mean, that that's what he said. That's not me putting words in his mouth. That's exactly what he said. He's so, saying that that's what. You know, it, it sounds like the. I don't. Th- to me, that's not him ripping him. That's other people ripping him. Right, but he is repeating it nationally on a platform where he's hearing it privately. There's a difference between hearing something privately and saying it in a national on a national platform. Okay, correct. But, he, but he's making it clear that it's it's from a source. It's not from him. Right. You know? Well, he's the one to apologize for. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Uh, and I, I don't think. He apologized. Like he, I thought he just like kind of like added like, "Hey, I got two new sor- two new sources here." Yeah, I, I yeah, he. I mean, he felt the need to come out and clarify it. So, I mean, I think there's something there that that he at least feels like he did wrong or felt the need that he had to clarify. It. As I said, I don't think he necessarily did anything wrong initially, but uh, you know, I just found it interesting that he is willing to repeat whatever about Justin Fields and about Carson Wentz. He doesn't believe anything here. 215-592-9494-215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. In for Big Daddy Graham. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, in the last segment of the show, we will um, kind of recap some of the stuff we can talk about. we got to do our final NCAA tournament update of the year as uh, the uh, champion was decided on Monday night. So we will uh, do that uh, in the final segment here, but if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mark and Cherry Hill. What's up, Mark? Hey, TK. What's up, man? Not much. I think you're going a little overboard with this Orlovsky thing. I don't okay. know if you remember the guy, Josh Rosen, back when he was being drafted. He was absolutely crushed and wound up dropping in the, stop, in the, in the uh, draft. And that actually all came out to be true about his not being dedicated to football, this, that, and the other. He was absolutely trash. It's just nobody cared back then. Now, as soon as you trash somebody, everybody jumps on you, so you have to backpedal. And that's what happened here. 
Was I mean, has that been a problem with Rosen, or is he just not very good? Like, well, he's not good, and he he doesn't really have any work ethic. Yeah, I mean, it, that could just be because he's not a very good quarterback, though. Like, I don't think there's any anything that that we've heard at the NFL level that he is not a hard worker or anything like that. Oh, he doesn't. I, for a team to to give up on you that quick, I know that they went with Kyler Murray, but to, to give up that quickly. For somebody that you drafted that high. Well, I mean, you have the chance to get Kyler. Well, no, I mean, you have the chance to get Kyler Murray. Why wouldn't you draft Kyler Murray? It's just like, it's the same thing, Mark, with the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Like, I like Jalen Hurts, but if the Eagles had had a chance to move up and get one of these top quarterbacks, of course they're going to do that. I think that's less of a reflection on Josh Rosen and more just a reflection on the fact that Kyler Murray's a really good player. Yeah, but why was it? I mean, why wasn't it a big deal when they were trashing his name up and down the in the in the week before the draft? What, nobody, what, nobody, what do you mean? Nobody cared at all when they were saying he had no desire to be a a football player. He was... No, I mean people were talking, Mark. But that's a thing. Like people have said this about about guys for. I mean, people said this about Aaron Rodgers. People were saying that Aaron Rodgers was a guy who didn't care about football, didn't love the game. It worked out fine for him. But that, well, that's what I'm saying. So what's the big deal that they did it to field? Well, no, I, Mark, and maybe I'm, I'm I wasn't, um, uh, you know, saying what I I meant clearly. But I personally, I understand Orlovsky's an analyst. I don't have a problem with him saying what he's hearing. He's the one who came out the next day with like some sort of somber clarification slash apology. I thought that part of it was kind of weird. That's because he was getting ripped left and right. Well, I mean, then he's got to get thicker skin. I mean, you're 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 an analyst. You're you're a a guy that did. Yeah, I mean, that's your job. I mean, you're going to get ripped sometimes. Like, big deal. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I I thought that part of it was weird. All righty. All right. I appreciate it. You enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate it. Yeah. And and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't really like Dan Orlovsky that much. I've said that uh, a number of times. You know, I I think he is uh, way overboard with his Carson Wentz love, certainly. And, um, you know, if you're going to if you're going to report something, report it and stick to it. Like, I just thought that part of it was weird that he reports something one day and the next day comes back with some weird clarification. I, I was saying to Mike during the break, like it, it's maybe it doesn't translate the same way audio, but watch the video. Like he seems like he, he feels like he did something wrong or he wronged Justin Fields in, in some way. And, and, you know, I'd say in that regard, you got to get some, some thicker skin. If this is your job and you're an analyst, then, you know, if you're hearing one thing, you know, you kind of, uh, stick to it a little bit. I I thought the whole thing was weird though. Like McAfee issued a statement on it the next day on his show. Um, Orlovsky's like clarifying uh, the uh, statement he made, and I just thought the whole situation was what uh, was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if that's what you're hearing, okay. Um, but I just think Dan Orlovsky is is uh, rather selective in what he wants to believe um, because uh, basically, you know, I, I was kind of comparing it to the Carson Wentz thing and the fact that we have all this evidence with Carson Wentz that Carson Wentz was a problem with the Eagles and Dan Orlovsky just wants to blame the Eagles. I think uh, his agenda influences um, his thinking quite a bit. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. 
Uh, when we get back, we'll recap some of the things we've been discussing, and we will uh, recap the NCAA championship game from Monday night. That's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you for one more segment here. And we'll talk to Al for the Overlap Show. In the final segment of the show, uh, some of the things we've been discussing uh, throughout the show tonight, uh, talking about the Phillies, their big win on um, Monday night. We'll get back to them in a second. Uh, just some of the other things that happened Monday night. Uh, Flyers beat the Bruins in overtime 3-2. Uh, so the Flyers get a victory. They are now th- um, three points behind the Bruins for that final playoff spot. Bruins do have two games in hand on the Flyers. So uh, they will play again tonight, this time at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, so the, the Flyers looking to um, hopefully get back in that playoff mix here. Big week for them. Two more matchups with the Bruins, a matchup with the Islanders on Thursday night. Uh, so the Flyers get the 3-2 to win in overtime. So Boston still gets a point. Not ideal. Uh, but the Flyers get the victory on Monday. Uh, Sixers back in action tonight. They take on the, the Boston Celtics. And kind of a curious line there. We were talking about off the air early on. Sixers only a one-point favorite. Um, Boston has obviously struggled this year. Um, but Joel Embiid expected to play. Uh, Sixers should be at full strength. So uh, a big game, and we'll talk about that uh, tomorrow night, clearly, as uh, the Sixers have a big one. The Nets won on Monday night, so Sixers now a half game back in the Eastern Conference of Brooklyn for that number one seed. But a big game for the 76ers as they take on Boston on Tuesday night. Phils will take on the Mets again. Chase Anderson and uh, Marcus Stroman the pitching matchup, and uh, Phils get the big win on Monday night. If you're just waking up, you miss the end of the game, uh, you miss the good one. Um, and it was, you know, one of the aspects of it that, that we, we'd just been talking about uh, throughout the course of the night is, you know, the impact of the fans. Like, it felt to me, for the first time, really since the pandemic hit, the fans were truly back. You know, we've had smatterings of fans at these games, but Phillies Mets is just different. Where whether it's in New York, Phillies fans making the trek up, I'll actually give the Mets fans credit. They travel probably better. Uh they always come down and, and are you know, loud when the game is in Philadelphia and uh you could hear them on Monday. And it was kind of cool to get that kind of fan interaction back. Here was Joe Girardi after the game on uh, that aspect of it during the game Monday. Oh, it's crazy. And and I think it's even different because the fans are here too, you know, and, and they're going back and forth all night. So um, guys got excited. I mean, this was an exciting ball game. And you could feel it. Like, I don't know. It, it felt to me like that was a game that had a different level of intensity than really any of the games last year. Like, it kind of had a different, like, antiseptic feel last year with the cardboard cutouts. It was all kind of eerie with the piped-in crowd noise. It felt, I don't, maybe playoff atmosphere is a little too strong, but 
that was truly exciting in the eighth inning, and the crowd was loud. Here's Reese Hoskins on the impact the crowd had. You know, we've been saying all weekend, really, that it feels like way more, man. And shoot, we're having so much fun. You could tell everyone here is having a lot of fun. I'm just excited for, for more people to be here. And it, you, you really could feel it. You could feel the energy and a great game as the Phils struggling most of the night um, offensively. Uh, and it was a game where, you know, and we've, we've been talking a lot of the night about John Middleton and how he deserves credit for this improved roster. And it was a game that was pretty much won by this improved bullpen where um, Matt Moore didn't have his best stuff, wasn't bad, uh, was kind of the victim of some bad defense. Uh, he did make one mistake on the mound um, in fielding a ball that kind of led to a big inning, but Adam Hazley, just a terrible misplay out in the center field um, that kind of led to a run for the Mets. Uh, they get two and more exits early, but the bullpen keeps the Phillies in this game where Brandon Kinsler, Coonrod, um, Connor Brogdon, they kept this game at two runs. And so many times last year, we saw the Phillies in a spot where you felt like the offense would get a couple runs, but the bullpen couldn't keep it within reach. And that is the biggest difference about this team. That was the biggest difference on Monday night, is that they were able to kind of keep this game within reach, keep the Phillies within striking distance, and uh, they were struggling against Jacob DeGrom. They couldn't really do anything. Um, in, in regards to DeGrom in this game, uh, he gets pulled after 77 pitches uh, after the seventh inning, and that was obviously a mistake. Here was Joe Girardi on uh, the Phillies and facing DeGrom. You know, I thought their at-bats against DeGrom were pretty good tonight, um, but it's really hard to, to put hits together against him, and he doesn't walk people, so, you know, he hits the balls hard that they caught um, – but, you know, we were fortunate, and, and air led to really us winning that game. And, um, you know, Joe, Joe mentions the, the error there, and that's kind of how the inning went down, where DeGrom comes out, and it was the bottom of the eighth where everything kind of spiraled out of control for the Mets, where uh, one out, Brad Miller gets a hit, and then Andrew McCutcheon has a really good at-bat works a walk. And Reese Hoskins, then a base hit to kind of keep the line moving, Um then Bryce Harper hit by a pitch, JT Realmuto a single, that tied it up, and then uh, the error on a ball that Alec Bohm hits the third base um, on the throw home, uh, gets away, Bryce Harper hustling the whole way, comes in to score that second run, Phils end up putting up five in the inning, and then Jose Alvarado comes in and closes it out. The Mets get a run in the ninth, um, but Alvarado is just nasty. I mean, throwing 99, 100, uh, with cut on that fastball and uh, just another piece to that bullpen that has been just so effective, whether it be Alvarado, Bradley, um, or any of those other guys I mentioned earlier. And here's Joe Girardi after the game talking about that improved bullpen so far. I mean, our guys didn't say anything, but obviously when, when you – how important is it to, to have a good bullpen like that on a night like this where you, you can lift Matt Moore early, but you're confident that those guys can keep you in it? Well, I think it's really important because we're going to have to win some games like this. Um, you know, this is, again, I'm going to say it's a very tough division. I think there's going to be a lot of tight ball games. 
because there's so much good pitching and you're, you know, our bullpen has been really, really good um, so far and we got to keep them rolling. And, um, you know, hopefully the Phillies can, can uh, keep it up with that bullpen and, and they can con- continue uh, the work they've done earlier on this year. But uh, as I said earlier, um, John Middleton deserves a lot of credit because this team could have gone one of two ways this offseason. And based off what he said at the end of last year, it didn't sound like the Phillies were going to go out and do what they needed to do this offseason uh, because this team wasn't good enough. And they really had no avenue to get better other than spend money. Like, the only way that they were going to be able to be a contender in the immediate future was to spend money. They didn't have prospects to trade. They didn't have um, prospects to develop. They had to go out, and they had to spend on the bullpen. They had to spend to bring JT Real Muto back. They had to spend to bring D.D. Gregorius back. And that's a large financial commitment. And, I mean, I've criticized John Middleton plenty over the last couple of years for keeping Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail in place too long. For not having the urgency that I felt they should have had last year to make legitimate moves to improve the bullpen. You know, not going out and getting your Brandon Workmans and your Heath Hembrys, your kind of Band-Aid guys, but really going out and making a commitment to fix um, that part of your roster that was your Achilles heel. Uh, but Middleton, the offseason, decided that he wanted to to make this thing work. And it didn't matter how much money it was going to cost. He was committed to winning. And um, I found that to be really the difference. And when you look at where this team is right now, John Middleton's the reason for it. To go out and hire Dave Dombrowski and give him the resources uh, to do what's necessary. We've seen it already. I mean, these are games last year that this team just does not win. And the moves they made in the offseason are the reason that they are winning these games. And it's crazy when you think back to six months ago and how we view kind of the ownership in this city now where Jeffrey Lurie six months ago was far and away number one. And, you know, between Josh Harris and John Middleton, it was it was more a, a discussion on who was worse. And now you look at these two, uh, I think Harris and Middleton have both surpassed Jeffrey Lurie, at least for what they have done um, in the last few months in terms of getting legitimate GMs in place, getting uh, proven coaches, proven managers in place. And the Phillies have an opportunity uh, to once again go out and hopefully take another one from the Mets on Tuesday night. And um, we, without any further ado, we will do our final NCAA tournament update of the year as... Uh, the champion was crowned on Monday night. Uh, we had talked about it last night. I gave you our picks. I'm upset that I did not um, take my own advice and go with Baylor. I had uh, picked Baylor plus four and a half. I was about to lock it in before the game. Then I decided, you know what? I don't really want to worry about this game. I, I, I want to watch it and enjoy it. I don't really want to put any money down on it. So I did not bet Baylor plus four and a half. It was evident right away that I should have. Baylor came out, and 
they led wire to wire, Mike. This game was not um, was not very competitive at all. It looked over at four to nothing. Like it was, yeah, you're right. You can tell right away Gonzaga just didn't have their legs. They were spent from that game Saturday night. And uh, Baylor was just, they're the better athletes. They're the better players on the floor. And they're the better team last night. Yeah, no, it was a, it was not a very competitive game. I mean, I, I missed a lot of it because I was watching the end of the Phillies game. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in the second half, Gonzaga got close, a, not really close. They got it down to like 10 or 11 a few times. And every time they got it to within that range, though, Baylor would just kind of separate again. And I like that Baylor team. They have a lot of, of, of depth on that team. I don't know how he projects to being an NBA prospect, but uh, I, I really like that kid, Davion Mitchell. He is a, 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 a tremendous competitor, um, and I, I like him. He's really the leader of that team, and they have a lot of a, a lot of talent. Uh, are they going to be losing a lot of guys this year, Baylor? I think so. I think a lot of those guys are juniors and seniors, yeah. Okay. And then uh, Jalen Suggs for Gonzaga. Uh, he's probably a one-and-done, and Gonzaga, once again, uh, they end up disappointing. Um and uh, another year that they have seemingly a strong squad, uh, but don't end up winning uh, the national championship. So nobody's ever going to take Gonzaga seriously again. Well, it's, I mean, they've probably had the third. I mean, it's probably the third time in five years they had a chance to win it all, and they just didn't, uh, including the COVID year. But still, yeah, they until they do it, no one's ever going to pick them again. No, nobody will ever take them seriously again. And they had a chance for an undefeated season. Probably not fair. Uh, to view them that way. Um, Why? Because, well, I mean, Baylor's a pretty good team. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, uh, you know, um, crazy for them to end up losing one game in the championship. But they haven't played a tough schedule. So uh, I guess, you know, it's it's legitimate yeah, they, that people could view them that way. They did play a tough schedule, though. Okay, well, like you were the one who just questioned, who just questioned me for, for saying it's not fair to, to challenge them. So I don't what, 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 what's your take here? I, I guess I misunderstood what the first thing you were saying was. I, I thought Gonzaga played a tough schedule. It wasn't like they just kind of like fluked their way in there. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, they they lost one game in the championship to the second best team in the country. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's probably not fair to just write them off oh, uh, by losing this game. That's okay. all I was saying. I so, yeah. Um, but a, a, a disappointing championship game. Unfortunately, it wasn't closer. Um, and congratulations to Baylor on winning the national championship. So we'll pay back attention to college basketball next year when the tournament starts. Uh, thanks to Mike Angelina for producing. Next up, we'll uh, talk to Al for the Overlap Show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.